What is this foolishness? How many dreams can you shape in a minute, an hour? The kind of clean you like best. Lost three of my teeth, too. All right, so you lost. Next time you win. Steamy, hot, hearty, delicious, invigorating. Folks at home, folks at home, welcome to a very, very special midweek Thursday night episode of Ike Live. And you know, we don't do these midweek shows unless something special is going on. And something special is going on tonight. Uh, I got to tell you, I'm excited. This is going to be a tremendous show. Uh, Let me start, as we always do. And send a huge thank you to our military uh, men and women, uh, veterans and active. Thank you guys and girls for what you do. It's a crazy world out there. Also a big thank you to firemen, EMT, policemen all over the world. Thank you guys for what you do. Um, We're proud to announce that tonight's show is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, which is Mystery Tackle Box. What an amazing product. We might actually be doing an unboxing later in the show. want you to watch for that. We're not. Also brought to you by <laughs> TH Marine. And if you own uh, a boat, if you own a boating product from a kayak to a John boat to a bass boat, even a Biggie Smalls yacht, if you're Tupac or Biggie Smalls and you have a yacht, <laughs> you're going to love TH Marine products. Uh, and we're going to be highlighting um, one of their products tonight. They're an amazing company. This show is also brought to you by Flambo. Flambo is the maker of the best tackle storage systems out there. Uh, tackle boxes, tackle bags. Um, you need something to hold your tackle? Check out that Flambo stuff, especially the Zero stuff. It's the deal. Uh, it's also we're also brought to you by Hobie Kayaks. I don't know if you knew this, but kayak fishing is sweeping the country. It's a great way to get involved with the sport without spending a lot of money. Be on the ground level with the fish. Um, So check out those Hobie kayaks. And the pedal drive system is the way to do it. You don't even have to paddle anymore. Uh, And and, uh, let me tell you, we're also brought to you by Tackle Warehouse. Man, uh, if you order tackle and you want it quick and you want the right tackle, you want the stuff that you ordered, try Tackle Warehouse. They're the best. And finally, last but not least... We usually have a tube laying around here because we use it for everything. Um, this show is brought to you by Liquid Mayhem. It is the best bass fishing scent on the planet Earth. Uh, i got to tell you, Brian puts it on everything. He puts it on his lures. He puts it on a cereal in the morning. His pasta. His pasta. I, I think uh, he and Heather use it in the bedroom. I'm not sure. Uh, let me start by introducing the room tonight. Uh and sitting to my right, the co-host of the show, I know he looks tired, but he's been all over the place in the last week. 
our very own Pete Klusik. Pete, hey, how man. you doing tonight? I'm doing good. Hey, everybody. It's good. To, it's good to be home. Good to see you. You do look a little tired. I look tired too. But yeah. I mean, we we have a tired look going on, and yeah. we're going to talk about that in a second. But are you in good enough shape to do a show tonight? I'm all set. Okay. I mean, we've got all beer sitting on the table. <laughs> Some cool guests. I, we I think we can make it through it. Okay. And this is the highlight of the show. Sitting on the casting couch tonight, and this is this is why we're here. And I can't wait to talk to these guys in length about a lot of stuff. Um, we have tonight sitting on the couch the Brewmasters from Yards Brewery right here in Philadelphia. Tom and Trevor, guys. Thank you. Very Welcome. How you doing tonight? Now, I, I, I want to tell you, Brian put in my notes, brewmasters, but you guys are more than brewmasters. Tom, let me start introducing, tell, tell everybody who you are and what you do at Yards. Uh, Tom Kehoe, I started Yards uh, 21 years ago, and I've been loving beer and making beer the entire time, and I think that really shows in what we do and how we do it. Yeah. Yeah. And then, Trevor, what do you do for Yards? So, Tom's the true brewmaster <laughs> at Yards. There's no question about that. Um, I'm not a sexy brewer. I'm more the uh, the boring business guy, but uh, but everybody needs one of those. Um, so, uh, so, I joined Absolutely. the team, uh, partnered up with Tom uh, six years ago now. Well, that's awesome. I, I got to tell you, uh, you might have heard me say it out there. We're doing a little periscope before the show started. And when I closed my eyes over a year ago... And I imagined my wet dream of a Nike Live show. It was one that would combine, truly combine, beer and fishing. <laughs> and so I, I, I gotta, I gotta, I'm just, I'm totally stiff over here. I'm, I'm excited about tonight's <laughs> show. Uh, I, I mean, it's gonna be great. Now, of course, you know, we, we're big fans of beer. We have, we all have been for a long time. Um, but it's nice tonight because we have a personal connection. Uh, we were introduced by by a mutual friend, Todd Pride, yep. uh, who who I met through the tournament world when the bass fishing uh, tournament came to Philadelphia. And Todd introduced us, and I got to come visit you guys probably probably a month or a couple months ago. Yep. Uh, and I got to tell you, I was blown away, not just by the facilities, and we're going to talk about all that stuff. But I was blown away by the fact that when I met you guys, you were just regular guys hanging out at the bar. That, I, I, that's a total compliment. Do, do you hear that from other people? Like, I, I don't know. I somehow expected when I got there, I was going to meet like stiffy guys and like a suit and very uptight. But I just met a couple dudes hanging out, and it was it was so refreshing. I got to tell you. Do you hear that from other people, or am I the first one to tell you? No, this? I, we we definitely do because you know we're realistic about what we do. Yeah. And we have fun doing it, and we we actually will laugh at ourselves. It's it's part it's part of you know what we believe is, as brewers and business people. That's great. I I doing this fishing thing, we meet so many people in the fishing industry that are so stuffy. And, and you know it was su- it was such a different feel when I got to come in and meet you guys, and and get the tour and just talk to you kind of as friends. It was a great feeling. It was a great feeling to do it. So thank you for letting me come in and and meet you guys like that. It was awesome. It was refreshing. It was awesome to have you. Yeah. And we've got I don't know if you know this. I'm going to introduce these two guys in the back. But um, one of our co-hosts in the show, very important part of the show, is our resident 
beer expert. So awesome. uh, I know he's going to have some hardcore questions for you. <laughs> Let me finish the introduction of the room. And in the booth tonight, and you know the booth is a very key part of this show because buttons are pushed back there, Pete. <laughs> I don't know what happens, but it's there's magic. a lot of buttons. So, something happens back there. Yeah, something happens back there. Um, producing the show tonight, our very own... Brian the Carpenter, a.k.a. Ding Dong. There Thank he you. goes. Thank he you. just waved. Yep. And on the IMs tonight, you heard me mention him a second ago, our very own resident beer expert, Dave Brodzik, a.k.a. Fathead, a.k.a. Worf. What's up, guys? How you doing tonight, Dave? Uh, I don't know, dude. I'm uh, I'm just partaking in one of my favorite beers, Yards IPA. Yeah. Classic standard. Love it. It's in the refrigerator at my house now. And it's going down the trote as we speak. There it goes. There it goes. <laughs> and, and so, I, Dave, before I get you off camera, we're going to also be cornering you a little bit about an amazing experience that you had. Um, how many days ago did it happen? Um, well, one week. Yeah, exactly one week and one hour ago. Exactly one hour one week. So I, I wow. just want to tease it a little bit. Don't give too much away, but one week and one hour ago, you actually saved your kids from something, and I got to see the post-altercation photos. Dude, you, were, you look like the worst UFC fight I've ever seen in my life. Blood streamed in your head. Just give us a brief description of what happened, and I'm going to dive back more into it in a second. I don't know if there's necessarily a brief one. The brief one's pretty much the whole thing. So, so no, 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 no. There's more to it. Give, give everybody a, just a brief description of what happened. Uh, so my son was attacked by three shepherds last Thursday night. Yeah. And, uh, German ones. Yeah, the German ones. Someone must have told him we were Polish. And uh, yeah, I don't know what. And that, so we'll just leave it at that. You know. All right. We're, we're well, you look good, Dave. Yeah. You really. After well, I'm wearing a those, hat for a reason, Pete. Uh, after seeing those pictures, I yeah. didn't know what to expect. I thought bandages and and casts. I didn't know you crutches. Know you, I didn't know what to expect. You know, you can't hurt that head, dude. <laughs> well, you look good. You look. Yeah, good. that's because I have a hat on. If I took the hat off, you might not say that. You do look good, Dave. Uh, and and we definitely want to hear more about that. Um. Once again, as usual, we want to hear from you, uh, your comments, your questions, a key part of the show. And as usual, look right there next to your screen. Our IM messaging board is up. Please send us your IMs. You could also hit us up on our social accounts, uh, which is at Ike Live Show, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, guys, before we get into I, – I really want to start talking about – I've got a I've got a list of stuff I want to dive into, um, but before I get into that, we are going to up uh, we're going to uncover the last winner of the first open in a little bit. But before we do that, Pete, real quick, I know you're looking tired, but let everybody know what happened over the last six weeks. Tell everybody what what went on. Hey, you know it's Bash University season. You know we've got classes going on all over the country. Um, a lot of people were at our classes this year. As a matter of fact, we sold more tickets to Bash University classes in 2016 than we've ever sold. Wow. Yeah, we had some pretty special events, one in Tulsa uh, being an absolute mob scene out there. And uh, we've been to Tulsa. We've been to South Texas, Orange, Texas. Uh, we've been to Columbus, Ohio, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania with the Great American Outdoor Show, and yep. up to Massachusetts with uh, with the New England Outdoor Show. And 
for the first time we're international and we were in toronto canada wow this year which crossing uh, borders yeah which uh you were the marathon man this weekend. Mike Mike did an appearance. Thank you very much. With us at uh, Columbus, and then jumped on a plane the next day and uh, and appeared at the Toronto show. Uh, so hey, you know, overall it, it was a great Bass University event. Here's the the reason we do it in January and February. You, you a lot of people think, what in the world are you doing seminars that time of year for? But you can't get a fisherman in a classroom if it's 70 degrees out right it ain't happening they're out fishing they're right? out they're out fishing and drinking beer and uh they're not sitting in the class so we got to do it when the weather's nasty right and we ran into a little weather this year not too bad not too bad not too bad we uh the storms didn't get us everybody made their flights and got home almost on time yeah well students so. with cabin fever are great students because they want to learn they're captivated by learning new techniques and new mm-hmm. lures so it's a it's a great time of the year to do it it, it, it works out great for, for the speakers because the speakers are grounded. There's not a lot of tournaments going on in January and February, and uh, and it works good for the students. They, you know, they are captivated by it, and, and they have, you know, great time. We hardly had any fights this year. <laughs> just, uh, <laughs> just, it always, you know, some of the places that we go, it can get out of control, uh, you know, at some of our social hours. But Now, i got to ask you this. Six shows, six different cities. <laughs> In the course of about a month and a half, mm-hmm. any highlights for you, Pete? What sticks out in your mind as, as a highlight this year? You know, I you know I, I there's a couple that stick out in, in my mind this year. Uh, well, I, I could think of three things that were absolutely key, big big. We had Aaron Martins, number one. Yeah, you know, awesome, awesome. Three time angler of the year, the hottest angler on the planet. Um, been wanting him to work with us for a while, and and Aaron was able to find some time and come to Tulsa, Oklahoma, with us this year. That w- that was huge, and 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 Aaron's special. He's so much fun to be around. Yeah. And uh, and he his seminars are are unique, and you know you but tremendous knowledge coming through there. Um, you know that that was huge. Um, and then two things uh, happened recently. The uh, number one, the Harrisburg event. I thought was amazing because I had never seen that many people surround you at at the Bass Tank uh, display. It was an absolute packed house at the shows. All the shows this year that we attended, the uh, gate was up. Gates, gates the, gate, the people, yeah. the outdoorsmen, the fishermen are, you know, our sport is just seems to be growing. It seems to be a lot of excitement and enthusiasm about it. Uh, that was key. And I really enjoyed spending some time with Gary Klein. Veteran uh, of the sport. Veteran of the yeah. sport. I've been competing against Gary mostly on the losing end of that competition <laughs> for years. And um, Gary was uh, was gracious. He was tremendous to the students, and I got to sit down and have dinner uh, with Gary and uh, and John Cruz and and some others. But uh, it, it was great being able to spend some time with him. So I, there's just some highlights for me. How about I, you? I I got a couple. I got two, and the one highlight, and uh, guys in the booth will love this too, is every place we went this year, six cities, you know, all over the country. Guys wanted to talk fishing. But 90% of the fans and and students that attended would come up and meet me. 90% would say, God, 
I love man. I can't I can't stop watching your show. We love the Ike Live show. I had wives and girlfriends come up to me, like I thought they were going to hit me at first. You know, they're like, I got to tell you something. Do you know my boyfriend, my husband made me watch your show, and I'm like, oh shit, here it comes. And <laughs> left hooks coming any second. But I like it now, you know, and, and they change and they change your tone. I'm like, it's a good feeling, you know, that we're breaking through to like mainstream people. You know, it's a rarity in this sport, you know. It's it's so funny you say that. I had that happen to me a number of times. Yeah. And one just like that that I I wanted to mention it because it was unique. He would sit the the husband would be sitting up at night on his PC and he'd have his earphones in. Right. And you know because he didn't want to disturb the wife. She didn't want to watch right. this fishing nonsense. She's watching HGTV. She's or watching. She's doing. Yeah, uh, she, she's knitting or she, whatever. She's watching and I guess whatever she was watching got boring one night after he's watched all our episodes yeah and he's and she's like what are they saying so he unplugged it and now she, that's her addiction wow now See she, that all, all he did was unplug it one time she loves the show Dude, where i'm telling you that's proof deniable uh, undeniable proof that we are a hundred percent better than the real <laughs> housewives of atlanta <laughs> oh. could at, be <laughs> at least I, I hope so you hope so i sure do uh so that was the one big moment. Yeah, that, the other one was, um, i got to tell you, and real quick, we'll, we'll get on the next thing. The last event in uh, Toronto. So, you know, we do these shows, and at the seminars, Trevor, I don't know if you've seen it before, at a at a sports show or seminar, they have that tank there. Yep. So it's a tank they bring in, and they have fish stocked in there. And, you know, they usually put a lot of different species. They'll put some bass, some big trout, they'll have whatever. And the show promoters, you know, it's kind of... Sometimes an unwritten rule, sometimes a verbal rule that when you go up there, you cut the hooks off your baits and don't catch them because it's kind of they're kind of like pets, you know, they're glorified pets in that tank. Well, after a long show season, I got up on that last tank on my last seminar day, and I just had enough of that. You know what I mean? I'm so I I grew tired of watching fish swim below me in the tank, and uh, I was actually doing a demo. It's funny this baits here. I was doing a little demo. With this little havoc bait, it's called a backslide. Just this little four-inch little plastic worm-looking thing, and it's a bass lure. But I, as I threw it out there, and we're showing people how this thing actually glides backwards real slow, dude, it was unbelievable. It's gliding backwards, and they had two broodstock trout in there, the really? big ones, like the ones that are. You know, I fished my whole life at South Jersey on opening day of trout. Yeah. And dude, if you caught a 12 incher, it was yeah. it was the freaking big one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So these are broodstock rainbows in there. And I threw that thing in there, and I had the hook on it still, but it was kind of buried. And I mean, it was like a piece of candy gone in. That biggest one, there was a four to three. The biggest one, the four pounder, came up to it and just like slow motion went and just gulped it in. And just something inside of me. It was the last <laughs> oh, you show. Do it. it was the last season. I'm like. Ah, fuck it. Whack! And I jacked jacked him so hard, man. And as I'm doing it, I'm just, I'm so pumped up. I get so much, like, uh, adrenaline flowing. Because it's a big trout. Like, I'm growing up in South Jersey. Dude, it's a freaking giant. It's a four-pounder, legitimate four-pounder. I get so much adrenaline throwing. I'm pointing at the show promoter, the guy that hired us to come to Canada. I'm pointing at him. I'm like, that's right. I hooked that fish. You want to build me? Build Jared from the Bash University. I'm pointing at our our show manager. Dude, I was so pumped up, man. And, uh, And caught that fish. 
And I saw the show promoter kind of grimaced at first, but then he saw the crowd reaction, yeah. and he lightened up, you know, and he he was kind of happy. And then when I saw that, I'm like, oh, that's a green light. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I see what you're telling me down there, man. <laughs> so I let that thing go, and the very next cast, I threw it out there, and the three-pound rainbow no. trout eats it. And I jack his ass back to back. Freaking awesome. The highlight of my seminar season. Catching trout. You know you're ruining it for all the rest of us that ah. have to get up there. <laughs> there's going to there's gonna be penalties oh. from here on out, like $5,000 fines oh, ever man. hooking another fish. Well, <laughs> if you if we get arrested going back to Canada, you know the reason. Uh, it, it was awesome. Awesome show season. Uh, so glad. So glad to meet everybody. So glad to participate. And here's the good news. We'll end it with this. If someone missed it, right, we had six cities across the the states, if you couldn't get there, if you couldn't hop a plane, couldn't drive to the location, it's okay, right? Because why? Well, we filmed everything. Okay. For Bash University TV. Okay. And we launch one of those seminars every single week throughout the course of the year. Uh, So just subscribe to Bash University TV. It's all right there for you. And um, some really cool stuff going on with that, too. Uh, we've got now subscribe monthly. We're going to give you a Bash University hat. Subscribe annually. We give you a T-shirt and a hat. But we have some great relationships with great sponsors. We're both wearing a Rapala shirt. And uh, right now, if it, until the end of this month, it's going to be live till the end of this month. Uh, sign up. You get. We got some great exclusive benefits for all of our subscribers from Rapala. Uh, so, and if you're a yes. subscriber and you haven't signed up yet. Go and sign up because once you sign up, you're good for the year. So, so go to the Rapala section in the lower right hand corner of Batch University TV. And guess what else is coming in March? In March, we, we have Liquid Mayhem uh, is is stepping up for all of our subscribers and has a, a massive discount that's going to be available for the first two weeks of March. And then wow. towards the end of March, it's going to be Missile Month uh, with Batch University. So. Uh, Missile Baits uh, is is going to have a, a Johnny great, Cruz and Missile Baits. Yeah, he, it's yeah. going to be a great discount for all of our students. We're going to be keep delivering that stuff for you guys. All the content that we deliver, Aaron Martins, you know Gary Klein, Greg Hackney, Mike, you were you, you had some really uh, great topics this year. All going to be available on Bash University TV all the way through till next year. So check wow. it out. That's awesome. And in addition, uh, Bash University Live. Which we launched a few weeks ago. That's right. Talk, talk about that for a second. Yeah, Bash University Live is is something that Mike and I are doing in studio, where we're actually reviewing the seminars uh, performed by our speakers. Um, and let me remind everybody, they they may want to think that this is the same studio, but it's not. We're on a lake somewhere, right? <laughs> we are. We're, That's it, definitely we have, not a green screen. We have mountains and docks in the background. That's a real lake that we're talking in front of. <laughs> but you got to check that out. It's it's all it's exclusive to Bass University TV subscribers. It's going to be once a month. Me and Mike are going to break down some seminars. We have lots of giveaways. You come in with your questions. We had a great response for our first episode, and uh, and I'm looking forward to the next one in March. As a matter of fact, we should we need to pick the date for March before we leave here tonight. Gotcha. Well, that's, that's awesome, and it's another great benefit to subscribers of Bash University. Uh, let me tell you, you know what we're going to do, guys. Can you hang out with us for a second? Because we're going to do in a second when Brian gets him up. We're going to talk to uh, Wesley Schrader. Wesley won the first big event of the year, uh, stamped his ticket 
for the classic this early in the year. That blows me away. Yeah. I, I got to ask him about this. It's <laughs> man, what a what a freaking feeling that is to have that done and out of the way. You know, like I, I I've never qualified that early. I mean, that's so, no. that's so amazing. It's, it's an it's an amazing thing. It's got to change the way you're going to fish through the rest of the year, right? I, I think it's going. I think it's going to change. I think you're going to see another win come from this guy. I think whether it's through bass or through FLW this year. Uh, we're going to talk to him in a second as soon as we get him up. Brian, we got him? Okay, I think he's got him already. Uh, joining us via Skype from I don't know where. We're going to ask him. Parts unknown. Parts unknown uh, <laughs> is Wesley Schrader, everybody. Hey, Wes. What's up, guys? What's up? How you doing tonight? Ah, uh, you know, just hanging out here at the house, helping the wife do a little... Uh, honey doing around the house here. That's about it. That's awesome. Well, hey, thanks for joining us. Uh, man, I'm I'm excited to have you on the show for the first time. Well, hey, I'm excited to be on the show. Uh, you know, uh, I've always wanted to go Ike. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Now, speaking of going Ike, um, man, we, we were just talking before you came on, Pete and I. Dude, first of all, congratulations, man! Freaking amazing win with a small margin of victory. I've been on both sides of that, so I know how it feels to win and how it feels to lose. So, congratulations on that. But, dude, are you going Ike on a regular basis? How? I mean, what's what's going through your mind right now after this win? Uh, you know, it's just uh, it's uh, you know, the the last time I was at the classic, you know who won that, don't you? Uh, a little hint, uh, I might be talking to him right now. Oh, uh, so, wow! Uh, 2003! Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, I was there in 2003. That's the last time that I made it, you know, but uh, I kind of got caught up in the show, but uh, I don't think I'll get caught up in the show this time. I got a little more little more uh, experience under my wheels, and uh, I'm, I'm super pumped. I just can't wait to find out where it's at. Man, that, that, that's awesome. It's It's got to be a great feeling to have a classic birth sewn up this early and and you've really you've got a whole season of flw ahead of you too so you've got at least two more opens and four or five more flws coming up does does this change the way that you're going to fish the rest of the season and i I want you to answer that for both tours does this change the way you'll fish the opens and the flws no, I'm still going to go out and try to win every one that I fish. And uh, like I said, I'm fishing the Northern Opens, too. I'm fishing two divisions of the Opens. So, uh, no, you know, I try to win every event that I can. And uh, I, I fish to win. But, you know, sometimes during the practice you see that there's probably no chance you're going to win. So you're just scrambling around trying to, you know, trying to make sure that you get a check to go on to the next one. And uh, But, you know, usually I'm always trying to fish to win. That, that That's a great thing. Now, I, I got I to gotta tell you that um, – I've seen this posted several places on several websites. I've seen it tweeted, uh, and and not just this year. I've seen it the last few years, and they all use the same statement. They say Wes- Wesley is the most under the radar angler out there, and and I always see when I see that statement, I see comparisons between you and um, Andy Morgan and Gerald Swindle. For the fact that you have this ability to be consistent and fish the moment, is that how, how did you get to become that angler? Is that something that took time to develop, or you had- know, I, you know, I talk about this all the time in like seminars that I give. It's it's called being uh, woods wise, and uh, you know, and and being woods wise isn't something that you just you pick up on. You just read about in the magazine. It's something that you're taught. You live it. You uh, you see how nature reacts with one another, and uh, 
I, I give a lot of credit to my grandfather and my father. Uh, my grandfather was a trapper, and he kind of he, he, he kind of taught me the the woods wise ways. As I said, you know how uh, the correlation between animals and different aspects of nature, how how things transpire, and uh, he was a very 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 wise individual when it comes to the the sense of the creatures in nature. And uh, my dad, you know, he he instilled the love of fishing in me. And uh, between the two, that's probably how. I, you know, I learned what I, you know, the way that I fish, how I learned to fish, and uh, it helped growing up. You know, I grew up on the lake, and uh, I had a 14-foot John boat until I was about uh, 17, and I fished kind of like you and your crowd, Eddie. You know, I had a 14-foot John boat uh, yeah. that I used to paddle. I didn't, I did we had a six-horsepower Evinrude motor on it, but I wasn't allowed to uh, leave the cove that we lived in up until I was about 14, I'd say, and wow. 12 or 14, something like that. And uh, I just learned to fish every, I knew where every stuff, every rock, every brush pile, every dock post, you know, just every aspect of the water. And, you know, growing up on the Tennessee River, you know, the, the, the waters recede and the, the, they, they do a dry winter drawdown. So I got to see what was under the water. And then when the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the spring when the waters came up and during the summer, I knew where everything was at and how to fish it, what angle to fish it. And uh, just I grew up fishing shallow, knowing how to catch fish shallow. Yeah, that, that that's amazing. Now, at what point, you know, I'm, I'm as you're talking, I'm visualizing this, and and very similar story to a lot of us where our family got us involved. We were fish heads as kids, spending every minute on the water. Very similar aspect. At what point, Wesley, did you say, you know, I I want to give this a try. I want to give professional fishing a stab. Well, you know, you know, in school, you know, they give you that questionnaire, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? What profession? Well, I had to fill in the blank. I want to be a professional bass fisherman. And, uh, you know, I got that, you know, I read the Bassmasters magazine. That's my favorite. It was my favorite magazine to go in the library and read. But, uh, you know, I got out of school and uh, I went to work for uh, I went to work for the, the Tennessee Valley Authority. I was a lineman and had a great paying job. And, uh, I had a near fatal accident and uh, I come in and I talked to my dad about it and uh, my dad sat me down and said, look, he said, son, he said, I'm just going to give you one piece of advice. He said, life's too short to be unhappy. And he said, what, what do you really want to do? And I told him, you know, I want to, I want to pursue uh, bass fishing as a career. And he said, well, the only thing I can tell you is he said, uh, if that's what you want to do, you put all your efforts and all your energy into that. And he said, if you make it, you make it. You can say you tried. And if you didn't make it, he said, you can always say at least you tried. And he said, but if you'll, uh, you put the good Lord first and, uh, put the, the, put the, the work ethic into it, he said, uh, good things will happen. And, uh, 18 years later, here I am, you know, getting to do the thing that I love to do more than anything in this world. Wow. What, what, what a, what a great story. We, we hear that story a lot. And I got to tell you that normally I would say there's no better job in the world than getting the fish for a living. But happens tonight, we have two guys that brew beer for a living with us. So I think they have the best job. They they actually one-up us on that one. I don't know if you do that. They may have. <laughs> yeah, and, and Wes, Wes, you fish so much. That's the one thing I noticed when I was looking up your stuff is, man, you, you got 270 FLW tournaments under your belt, and I don't know how many, how many bass tournaments – but you, man, you must fish like 15, 25 tournaments a year. You know, that's that's I, I love to fish. Even when I'm not fishing, I'm fishing. And uh, what I might, I deer hunt a little bit. I, I duck hunt guy during the winter time. And uh, but when I'm not doing that, I'm 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 thinking about the next bass I'm going to catch or 
the next fish I'm going to catch. So uh, I, I just love it. I mean, I to this day, I still get fired up just going fun fishing just like I did when I was a kid. Wow. That, that's awesome. Well, I, something else I kind of stumbled on while I was looking up some of your stats is uh, you, had a, you had a boating accident, and you kind of – you impacted a, a buoy marker out there, and I know how unpredictable those buoy markers can be sometimes. So, <laughs> I was Let's just say that that's something that happened that uh, we all think will never happen to us. And uh, I've wait a minute, I've what, never wrecked a boat. I've never put one in the woods. Oh, you trying to be evil can evil. Let's be honest. There were no cars to jump. <laughs> Uh, oh my gosh! I, 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 a friend of mine had that same thing happen to him, where you're looking, you're scanning the bank, you're looking for a, a plate, the next place to fish, or you're, maybe you're navigating the waves, and and he smashed right up onto a big green can buoy. You know, my, mine was totally different. I, I actually uh, caught something underneath the water. It was something. It was a soft floater in the water. It wasn't going that fast, but it caused my boat to go into a. It, it bow hooked it. I lost all the traction to the prop, and it just, you yeah. know. It's just one of them things that you never think will happen to you. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm Superman. This ain't going to happen. And, you know, the whole week I was there, I'd go by that pole, and that pole was leaning. I'm like, who hits a pole in the middle of the river? How do you do that? <laughs> You'd be an idiot. And when I was in that slide, I said, well, this is how you hit a pole. Oh, the my God, man. <laughs> that wor- that always worries me when I'm driving past bridge abutments. And yeah. I'm like, they, I know it's going to happen. I'm going to hit a log or something at the wrong time and, and have that exact yeah. thing happen. Well, well, it, well like we, we was at Toho, and the, you know, the bridge, except, you know, there's a bridge you go under between uh, Hatch and the Hall and uh, Lake Kissimmee. There's a bridge there. It's a sure. very small bridge. Mm-hmm. There's not very much space in between the columns. And every time I get that bridge, I slow down to like 30 miles an hour and go under it. And my co-anglers. Each day they're like, you're the only guy that slows down for this bridge. I said, well, I'm probably the only guy that can hit a pole out in the middle of the river. I said, I want to take my chances slowing down. Yeah, I, I don't blame you. I mean, if it can happen, it will happen. You know, the the back of the boat sliding, I've, I've been there before. That's happened to me. And when I set it up in the woods, a very similar thing happened. You know, I hit I hit a submerged whatever it was, and it, it ricocheted me up there. So I can relate to that for sure. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I want to change the subject a little bit and uh, talk to you about the win again. And But I want to dive in. I know you've been getting interviews left and right about the baits, the patterns. I don't want to talk to you about that. I want to talk to you about your mental mindset. And, and you know, uh, I, I think a lot of our viewers know already, and they, they follow you, they follow your career, and they follow bass fishing, right? So they, they know what's happened. But... Man, you you had a lot of stuff going on mentally during that tournament. Um, get into that a little bit because when I saw yeah, because when I saw that, like I think a normal person would not be able to perform under that mental pressure. But but you did the opposite. You excelled under that pressure. Talk talk a little bit about that. Well, you know, it's uh, it's one of those things, you know, it's a phone call that you never want to get or you never think will, you know, be faced with that circumstance. And uh, it was uh, early Wednesday morning, probably about 1230, the last day of practice before the Toho event. And uh, I get a call a call from the sheriff's department here at the house, and I recognize the number because, you know, we, this is a small community where we're at. And, you know, and I'm, I'm good friends with the, most law enforcement here. And, uh, and it was Jeff, and Jeff said, uh, Wesley, he said, uh, 
he said, do you have somebody house sitting for you? And I said, yeah, uh, 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 Ruth Neal. And he asked me if I could describe her. And then when he asked me if I could describe her, I'm like, what, what in the world is going on? So, you know, long story short, uh, she was in the house and a, and a friend of hers uh, had walked up on the, the back porch while she was sitting on the couch there that night and had shot her. And, uh, you know, I was just, I walked around for like with a zombie for like two days, just wow. like, what, in the, you know, just how does something like this happen? You know, and, yeah. and, and fortunate enough, you know, she's, she's doing well. They moved her into her own room today and, uh, she's starting physical therapy and all that, but, uh, oh she's a walking miracle. But, uh, you know, a lot of people's asked me the same question. How did you perform? And, you know, it's hard to describe. I, I seem to do well better under pressure than I do when there's no pressure. And, uh, I just got this, I don't know, man, it's, it's, it's weird. I mean, not to say that I didn't think about Ruth. I thought about her every minute of the day, but I, it, it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like you ever watch the movie, Kevin Costner, the love of the game, Yeah. you know, where he says clear the mechanism. It's just, it's kind of one of those deals where I, I kind of lose myself in fishing. You know what I mean? Any kind of problems or stuff that I'm going through, uh, fishing relieves that or, or, or brings the best out in me, yeah. I should say. I, I, it's funny because as you're talking, I, I can really relate to what you're saying. Um, I, and I've said this before, Pete. You've heard me say this. Some of my best tournament performances in my career have come when shit's hitting the fan, when something's totally screwed up, shit's gone down, something's messed up. I perform you know, really well. You know what? You know what I think it is. I think it's, uh, you know, everybody says about focusing on fishing and. But sometimes we overthink things as a fisherman. You know, we try we try to we try to make the fish smarter than they actually are. And I think when circumstances like that happen, or you get you know stuff's really going bad, you're not really worrying about the fish. You're just kind of fishing blind. You know what I mean? And then yeah. things just kind of fall together. It's it kind of it, it's kind of weird, but it just kind of opens your eyes up to a few things. You know what I mean? Yeah. I- I do know what I, you mean. I, I don't. I really don't know what you guys are talking about. When things are going, <laughs> when things are going south for me, so goes my tournament <laughs> It's hard well, to do. It's hard Pete, to. Some people got it. Some people don't. <laughs> it's hard to compartmentalize. There ain't no doubt. It's it's hard to block that stuff out. I've seen you do it. It's amazing. Yeah. You know when things get tough and, yeah, and it, it, you you lose yourself. Dude, and it's when, just like Wes yeah, said. Yeah. No. You know? When things are too good, mm-hmm. when things are great, and there's no distractions, things are perfect. I have some of my worst performances of the year, and when things are crappy, it seems like I have good tournaments. I don't know. Maybe I should force crap yeah, on myself. Maybe we should. I'll call you with some bad news the night before the yeah. tournament. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you should compete go out and flatten your tires every time before. Wow. We might be on to something. We might be on to something. I don't know. It might be a good idea. Uh, now, I, I, I'd be in big trouble if Brian the Carpenter – didn't make me ask this question. I and I I have to. Uh, <laughs> are you are you or do you want to make the jump to bass? I mean, that's a big political thing in this sport right now. Guys that have fished FLW their whole career that are making the jump to bass. Uh, I think 10 or 15 years ago, it was vice versa. Guys fished bass their whole life. They went to FLW. Is that something you're considering, or, or is that on the on the plate for you at all? 
Well, you know, here, here's the thing. I, I, the reason, you know, last year I missed it by six points in the Northern Opens, and uh, I, I may have – I was going to do both. I, that was my goal was to do both if it was possible. But, uh, you know, the schedules conflicted. That, that the last tournament we found out was going to conflict, and I missed it by six points. So that would have been a big decision for me. And, uh, you know, I like keeping my options open is all I'm going to say. I'm fishing them. Yeah. If I qualify, I'll make that decision when it comes. But uh, I like to keep my options open because you don't—you never know what's going to happen one way or the other. So, you know, it, it would all be, uh, you know, kind of sponsor-related, which where they want me to go, what they want me to do. But, uh, you know, I've had 18 years at FLW. It's been good. It's been good. And I, I like fishing FLW, but I also yeah. like fishing the bass events too. Yeah, you're you're just a fish head like we all are. Uh, Dave, Dave, what do we got? We've got some IMs coming through. Dave, what do we have for Wesley? Can't hear you, Dave. Rick, we do. Rick Tockett has a question for Wesley. Wesley, growing up in Tennessee, have you ever gotten into a fist fight over ginseng root? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> That's a typical bizarre question from our from our fans. I, I, I got buddies that dig ginseng, but I can think of a lot better things to do in August than digging up roots in the middle of the woods. It's hot, sweaty. I'd rather be fishing. <laughs> that was a good question. We got any? We got any real questions, Dave? Or is that? That was a very real question. That was a real question. That was so a real question. Wes, Wes knows that was real. Yeah, he's in Tennessee, dude. That's absolutely a real question there. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. A lot of buddies dig ginseng. It's it's big money. You know where to find the ginseng at. Now I'm gonna have uh, Tom and Trevor. Any considerations of putting ginseng in one of the one of the beers coming up? Uh, I've tried ginseng. It it has a flavor that just really doesn't work in beer. It really tastes like dirt. It tastes like dirt. Pretty bitter. Pretty bitter. That won't be a big seller up in this area. <laughs> so, what do guys get more protective over? Uh, you know, like a bass spots or ginseng spots? Oh, uh, dude, there's been some shooting over some ginseng spots. It's pretty. Uh, it gets pretty. Pretty cutthroat. It's pretty gets pretty ugly. Ah, well, that's interesting. No idea. See, I learned something tonight. I Mike, you know, there's all, they called Zang. Going to get some Zang. Zang. Yeah, dude. Wow. <laughs> I don't know what Zang is, but okay. You know what Zang is? Like, you don't know. You know what Zang is, man. All right, now I'm uh, I'm looking at our uh, social feeds here, Wesley, and I've got one from Lenny, and Lenny wants to know any plans on quitting bass fishing. To noodle for giant tarpon. Well, uh, I'm not planning on quitting bass fishing, but every time I go to the Keys, I make sure I stop by Robbie's and stick my hand in a tarpon's mouth. It's fun. <laughs> that things are ridiculous, man. It is pretty amazing, isn't it? Oh my god, they're yeah. so big. Uh, I saw Grigsby, your video. Uh, Chad Grigsby, which we'll be fishing with y'all this year on the elites. Uh, he, uh, we went on, we went on our uh, my 20 year anniversary and his 10 year wedding anniversary, and uh, we was trying to see who could wrestle one up on the dock. Uh, Neither one of us got one on the dock. Wow, it's crazy! It's crazy. Well, well, I know he's. I know you're a Tennessee River rat, uh, Wesley. That's uh, you've won on Watts Bar a couple times, right? Yeah, sure have. That's uh, well, are you going to be fishing there this year at all? Is FLW going there? Uh, no, the FLW. They're uh, FLW is going to go to. I think their their invitational series thing at in the fall is going to. Uh, Norris, which is one of the lakes that start the chain of the, the yeah. Tennessee River. It's a, it's just a big giant beaver lake. It's real giant, clear, deep. Gotcha. So, uh, well, if you if you if you had to pick, 
where would you like the classic to be? Chickamauga. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. That's Shocker. a good one. I like I like Chickamauga. As, it, as it so would, does uh, Wes. Yeah. It would be. Uh, it would be, they it would take a lot of weight to win that one because that's when the they're catching those great big ones right now. So it would take a lot of weight to win that one. I'm I'm all hey, in for that one. I'm maybe not a hundred pounds, but it would definitely take over eighty to win that wow. one for three days. Wow! How, how do they catch them on Chickamauga this time of year? Well, uh, there's several ways, but the guys that really catch the great big ones, you know, is the Alabama rig. That's where they catch yep. the great big ones. Yeah. But uh, they still, you can still catch, you know, twenty five, thirty pound stringers on a trap or a jig or a jerk bait. Wow! All right. Well, we'll do some lobbying for you at the Classic this year. See if we can get you hooked up. There you go. <laughs> uh, I might I might even slip a twenty in, in there for you. <laughs> <laughs> Big money, Pete. Uh, Wesley, thanks thanks for joining us tonight, man. I so excited to have you on the show. Will you come back on the show if we asked you? Dude, I'll, I'll be here anytime, anywhere, just as long as you don't ask me to be our naked. I'll be good with that. All right, well that sounds good. Uh, <laughs> before we let you go, uh, do you want to let everybody know how they could follow you? Do you want to let them know your website or social media address? Yeah, dude, you can. You know, you can just search my name, Wesley Strader, or Wesley Strader Fishing. I also have a website, Strader Fishing, but uh, Wesley Strader one on Twitter. Wester Strader Fishing on uh, Facebook and uh, Wester Strader at, uh, on Instagram. So it's, it's pretty simple. My name, you'll find me. Awesome, awesome. Wesley, congratulations again. Thanks for coming on tonight, and we will see you down the road. Congrats, right, Wes. Thanks, guys. Keep it safe. Right Wesley on, Strader, everybody. Awesome. Wow. Got to be so relaxing to have that classic under your belt right yeah. now. Can you imagine? That'd be like, you know, that'd be like a, the start of the football season. And you know you you already know you're going to be in the Super Bowl, yeah. and you have the rest of the season ahead of you. Yeah. What what a comfortable feeling that is for a guy, you know? That would help beer sales too. It yeah. would have, it's tremendously, <laughs> uh, tremendously would help beer sales. Hey, I got I got a question. When you were talking about um you know your seminar season, do you guys uh, do you have a season um the beer guys? Where, where you're doing shows, you're traveling. It's a great question. You know whether it be locally or or or, or you know. Yeah, it's it's funny. We we do uh, I guess the beer festivals mostly uh, sort of like spring and, and fall is when they come in. Summer, you know, people are taking off doing stuff. But we have a craft brewers conference that we do every year, and it travels from city to city. And it just so happens this year, May third, it's going to be right in Philadelphia. So oh, wow! Fourteen thousand brewers coming into Philadelphia. What? Wow! And, Did you, you know, just say May third? Dave, <laughs> Dave, mark this down <laughs> on the nightlife calendar. This is big, dude. <laughs> worse than that, it's it's the Mawa Nationals, man. Hopefully, my kid will be there, so I won't be at the oh, at the beer festival, God. man. I'm marking this down. It's a wrestling national wrestling tournament. Oh, and and our, and our event, Real Ale Festival, which will have about eighty casks of real ale, is actually Sunday before. Okay. On May first. So I'm in. Wow. You might awesome. be able to make that one. Yeah. It's a good good tie into the date. Now I I want to just jump right into it. Um, so we've got fish heads on this show all the time. Very unique opportunity to have you guys on the show. And I always asked, you know, a guy that's a pro angler like Wesley, you know, how did you guys get into this? So, you know, what was your start? Tom, let me ask you the same thing. How did you get into this world? What 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 was the start for you? Fishing or brewing? Brewing. <laughs> <laughs> brewing first. Okay. We'll get to the fishing later. Um, 
it's kind of a two-part uh, thing. I was going to school and uh, with a couple guys, and we were, you know, trying out all the imported beers, trying new beers, and we just were absolutely loving the fact that there was, you know, different flavors and things like that out there, you know. And all we had to really choose from was imports. I go away to college my first year, and I'm at Dunderbox in the Lehigh Valley Mall, and I ordered an Ankerstein, and and was like, wow. They make beer like this in the United States. I can't believe it. And then it just started thinking about the whole thing and just thinking about, you know, wow, there's, you know, maybe if we made beer. Yeah. You know, and, and it didn't really think, and I never thought that I could just go and make beer. Yeah. And the next thing you know, there starts a little small craft brewers are starting up, little microbrewers are starting up, and then I'm just like, yeah, this is this could be so what I want to do. That that <laughs> that's of, amazing. So you were on the front end yeah. of this this movement, right? Because it's uh, I mean, brewing now is it's big. It's big business. It's yeah. a culture, and you were kind of on the front end of that. That's exciting. Yeah, we were we were brewing beer in our dorm rooms in college. Wow. You know, once once we were able to you know find you could buy a beer kit. Yeah. Like, is yeah, that let's try it. that's how you learn how yeah. to brew beer? Yeah, you bought a beer brewing. kit. And bought a beer kit, you know, started brewing in our dorm rooms, cleaning bottles, taking all the time. And next thing you know, we, we go and visit a brewery down in, down in Maryland and we're, uh, you know, hanging out there every weekend. And next thing you know, we start helping them out. Oh, you can help me out with this, you know, because we were there all the time. All right. And just actually just started to work. See that, Dave? There's hope for you. (laughs) There's legitimate hope. It's funny because I I do have the name of my brewery, which is Top Rope Brewery, and it's going to be all like WWE-themed wrestling moves, all my beers. Wow. (laughs) But that's it. I don't know how to make one. I don't know how to do. I don't know how to make anything. I had a backup name called Headlock Brewing Company. So. Wow! <laughs> nice. Well, that's well, a good one. Well, how, how, the name Yards. I mean, where where does that come from? Uh, Yards actually comes from uh, we. The brewery I worked for was called the British Brewing Company, and that was a style of beer that I actually fell in love with. Resa was our first beer, and it's like an English style ale that was really made for cask ales. And I knew that we were going to want to do something English, British, and it, we were just trying to think of that one word name, and then. We thought of Scotland Yard, and we were like, we're going to get rid of Scotland, go out something yards. And it took us like three years to really get into business and actually do everything. So everybody's asking us how Yards is doing, and it just turned into Yards for us. Uh, yeah. like Not it. a great story, but it's, it's, a it's, great, it's, no, it's the real story. The name yeah. found yeah. itself, which yeah. is really cool. Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know if you knew this, but here at the Ike Live Show, we have an amazing tie to an English celebrity. He's pictures right there behind the camera. Benny Hill. <laughs> yes, we love Benny Hill here. With some groupies. Yeah. yeah. Dude, uh, when I was a kid, I mean, I liked, I think the Benny Hill obsession for me was like 50-50. Like, half of it was genuinely his comedy. Like, we, we watched Ed Bassmaster earlier. Very similar, you know, just dry, kind of, you know, comedic, uh, spur-of-the-moment comedy. I love that. But the other part of it when I was a kid, and you got to remember, 8, 9, 10, you know, when Benny Hill was... 12, yeah, yeah. 12, well, maybe, maybe 12. Yeah. Occasionally would see a nipple. Yes. <laughs> I knew you were going to And that, that was very important to me, <laughs> to catch that glimpse of that nipple. Yeah, sometimes it would slip through. Right. Yeah, it really that. did. Yeah. 
I loved I love that about Benny Hill. We're so old, dude. I know yeah. we are. That's well, a joke. This is like so my dad good. talking about when he saw ankles in the in the forties. <laughs> <You know? laughs> <laughs> oh my god! All right, we're dating ourselves. Let's yeah, stop. Um, talking about beer. Trevor, tell me a little bit about how you got into this crazy world. What What was your start in this thing? Um, so I was actually living uh, I was living in Italy and working in Italy, um, and. Uh, and my passion growing up was actually always fishing. Uh, and I lived, I, I grew up in the New England area, bass fishing, trout fishing, doing some stripers on the coast. Then I moved to Miami after college, was living with a roommate of mine. Fishing down there was phenomenal. So that, oh my God, when I was yeah. working, that was all I was doing. Tarpon fishing, Salt, bass fresh, fishing, everything. Offshore, yeah. yeah, everything. And so then I landed in Italy to work with uh, another one of my college roommates. And uh, the fishing wasn't so hot. I later discovered some fishing up in the mountains, some trout fishing up in the mountains. Yeah. But I was my my hobby became eating and drinking because the 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 artisanal food and beverage culture there is just it's amazing. Yeah, it's just so amazing. ingrained in the culture. Just it, it's phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and uh, I was actually working in the uh, in the telecom business, but always in in an entrepreneurial business and kind of the business development side, and decided I, I want to do something. Entrepreneur, entrepreneurial, be part of a, a an entrepreneurial company, but in artisanal food and beverage. So then I married an Italian Croatian woman that I met over there. We landed in Philly supposedly for just a couple of years for graduate school. Then we were going to go back to Europe. And then I met Tom uh, through uh, through a cousin of mine who was one of his college roommates. They were on the wrestling team together um, in college, and uh, uh, and then. Um, in uh, in 2009, so I met Tom in 2005, and then in 2009, uh, my cousin and I actually uh, ended up uh, uh, joining forces with Tom. Wow, what a cool story! It's like almost like meant to be yeah. when something like that happens. We've heard that story so many times on this show. When you look back on it, how it just kind of kind of comes together like that. It's pretty amazing. It, it is amazing. And you were were you up and running at the time when you when you guys met? Yeah, uh, we were up and running. We were uh, on our basically like our fourth fourth brewery, but didn't have a clear path. And mm-hmm. you know, Trevor coming in with there and everything, it really made you know a clear path where we're going, and got everything on the right track, which was really you know really had us grow exponentially as a, as a company. Yeah, and you need that as a company. Yeah. I mean, you got to have the operations guy that that makes the product, but. Boy, that business side of it. It's like you can make the greatest beer in the world, but if you can't talk somebody into tasting it or trying yeah. it, or much less buying it, you know, it'll just sit there, you know. So that, that's such an important relationship. You know, we, we see that in, in our business, the Bash University, which, uh, you know, we, we deliver a, a great product. And we, we thought the Bash University would save us. Like, I remember when we started it, we thought it would alleviate the need for sponsors. And, we, and the first year, we lost $25,000. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we had to go through the school of hard knocks on the business side, too. Yeah. But, yeah you, you figure it out. You figure yeah. it out. And, you know, you heard me say this earlier, and I, I was sincere, which is um, normally, you know, Fishing for a living is the best job in the world, uh, <laughs> but I think you guys top that. Uh, you know, how many guys can turn a hobby or a passion or something they like to do on a regular basis into a career? Do you do you think about that a lot? Do people remind you all the time that Tom, you 
lucky guy. You know, you get to deal with this every. You, you're you're involved in beer every day. Do you do you get that a lot? Yeah, and 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 I sort of absorb it. Like, yeah, isn't this what everybody should be doing? Right. You know, and it just like that. they think about it. It's like they should be. Right. And you know, you even got some guys that work at the brewery that are saying the same thing. It's like, thank you for starting yards because. I have a home now. I've got a place where I absolutely love going to every day. Yeah. And I love being there. Like, yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> Thanks for helping me. <laughs> you know, because without them, I'm nothing. Big time. Big you know? time. It's, it's so important. Yeah. So. Dave, what do you got? So I, I guess Tom, Trevor. So after the RSA, what were the next couple beers that were released? After ESA. After ESA. ESA. Yeah. Yeah. Um, ESA was the first beer, and that was our flagship for a number of years. Uh we did a couple beers that we really don't do anymore. The one that we do do is Old Bar, and it was it's a uh, you know an English barley wine. Uh, we did we did a porter. Um, we kind of discontinued that. We actually do the Washington's Porter now, which is one of our ales of the Revolution. So, well, what inspired that revolutionary ale? Because that that's what brought me on to you guys actually was okay. your was your was your uh, Jefferson. Well, being in the city of Philadelphia, uh, in the whole heritage of, you know, just uh, you know. Independence Hall, you know, the, you know, the, you know, we the people and everything, you know, really coming together and all that, uh, that mass, there was the City Tavern. And it was a great, uh, tourist place that needed to make beers that were of the time. They were just taking whatever beer they could and calling it Washington Porter. Yeah. They knew Washington made Porter, things like that. They had a recipe, but nobody would actually do it. We were small enough at the time that we actually were like, we'd be happy to do that. And, we started taking over all the beer that they wanted to sell there. We were making it. Ah. And then what happened, we grew, and we actually were to the point where we're making more beer now than you can than you can sell. Yeah. And so we started selling it every place else. Yeah. So it was like almost doing like a private brew for them, but then it really turned into something that, you know, we, we grew with. So. Wow. That's interesting. I, I got to tell you, you know, kind of what you said, like – Word of mouth and, you know, that grassroots introduction to something is the best sell out there, right? Uh, I think the first time I ever had Yards, I walked into the liquor store. And I walked in, and this is maybe a couple years back, two, three years ago, and the guy at the front recommended it, you know? He's like, oh, you gotta, you got to try that. Is that is that something like because in like you know like in the radio industry you want to get a record played there's like payola you know like you know here here take a couple do you guys is that something you're conscious of do you like do they, are you asking if they bribe people no, to drink? I'm, I'm just saying because that is strong like to have testament from somebody to say try this is very that's the deal we we do stuff like that all the time. Not bribing them. Well, <laughs> yeah. we, actually, we actually invite uh, you know, people that sell the beer, liquor stores, distributors in, in Pennsylvania, um, bar owners and their serving staff to the brewery, give them a tour, talk about the beer, get them excited about their local brewery, which is us, Yards. Yeah. And getting them all fired up about that really is you know, how we kind of communicate and sell ourselves. And you know, you know, why are more companies doing that? Right. You know, it's yeah. like you know, get get the get a personal relationship. Yeah. And they're your best sales salespeople. Absolutely. The guy 100%. you're getting your beer from, whether it's the guy who handed it to you. Yeah, they're the on the front lines, or the guy right? Selling you the six pack. You know, and 
whatever he says, you're going to try. Yeah. It's like I got a beer for you to try. Yeah, give it to me. Yeah. And so, you know, if it's yards, we're doing the right thing. Well, well I can't hey. tell you how many people I take fishing every year where I could directly influence them. So, um, <laughs> 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 and he's not asking for a bribe right now. Maybe, maybe yards will make a hat that fits yeah. the <laughs> We might have a T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> might be able to find a sweatshirt. <laughs> That's so, hey, Trevor, Trevor, I got a question. How, how long does it take to get a beer correct for you to actually release to the public? To to release to the public, uh, probably about eighteen months from. From start to finish, wow. it, it, you know, it depends on the beer, but you know, we do a number of different test batches, a number of different iterations. You know, there's a there's a creative process where Tom and the brewers, but really all the staff in the brewery, you know, have ideas about a particular style that they want to try, but it's our interpretation of that style, yeah. and so we'll do a number of different iterations, try it out in the tasting room, put it to some, put it out in some accounts, get feedback try some you know tweak it again and so then maybe a year down the line we've got something that uh we really like and that's kind of fast tracking it actually right uh, so you know, I, typically it's probably more like two to three years and then we'll start talking about all right how do we brand this beer um and go to release it realistically though most of our beer is probably two to three years yeah. wow so yeah. i have one specific and it's it's one of my favorites that you make and it's the cape of good hope mm-hmm. now i found that three years ago okay and the recipe has changed. But I guess my, my question is, how long was that beer in the making for? Because that is one of the best beers I'd ever had, the one three years ago. Well, I'm going to admit something. <laughs> Here on Ike Live. Never Here been. on Ike Live, open forum. Uh, Cape of Good Hope started out as a almost a mistake that we did whatever we could to save it. And by saving it, uh, what had happened in, in beer terms, the uh, uh, we had a stuck fermentation where it didn't quite finish. And it was still sweet. It was in the tank. It cooled down. The yeast wasn't active. We tried and throw in some live yeast in there that was actively fermenting. It brought the, I guess, gravity of the beer down a little bit uh, to try to get it to, uh, I guess, you know, get, get, get the right flavor. But then we started just throwing hops into it. And the more hops we threw into it, it just finally started to, you know, do a little secondary fermentation, brought the gravity down. We're like, wow, this is great to drink. And as we were trying to do something with it, we put it in kegs and sold it uh, and you know, had to get rid of almost half that original batch because we needed kegs, we needed everything. But, but it went out there and people loved it. So about a year later... You know, we were thinking, like, let's do it again. Let's do the same thing again. So we actually made it on purpose this time yeah. and added all the extra hops in it. And the idea was the Cape of Good Hope. It's like this beer, just like the IPAs, we're going on this journey around around the Cape of Good Hope to India or whatever. So it was an adventure. And we were going to try to have that That's thing cool. kind of circle. And it was going to be like, a you know, your trip is different. Your adventure is different every time. Yeah. So we started, you know, making the beer Always hoppy, always uh, you know uh, something powerful that's going to make it around around the horn, around around the cape. And uh, what had happened is like you know we we're realizing that you know that's not good branding to change it every year. So now we've been actually all we actually do now we've kind of got down the 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 uh, liquid in a sense as far as the malt bill and the yeast bill, 
and then we actually just change a little bit of the dry hop every year just to be whatever's like the hot new hop we're going to put in there and we're going to you know make it real real you know the kind of smack you in the face IPA that it is. Wow. Yeah, I, I love it. I, I got a good story about it. So <laughs> I, I guess the second year I didn't. I, I, I when it was released, I didn't have enough cash to buy six cases, so I put it on my credit card. <laughs> and I had it. So because I, I wasn't going to run out, and but like you had said, what, the recipe. Yeah, the recipe well, it gets better. So the recipe had changed. Well, anyway, I had a stash in my basement that I didn't even tell my wife about. My wife's a real big craft beer fan. So I don't know how she got to my stash, but she found my stash and was like picking at it. And then when picking I found it, it. <laughs> and I, I I'd only saved I saved that stash for when I had people over for like UFC fights and stuff like that. Like that was like my like yeah, you're, yeah. you're in my casa. This is what I drink here. You know what I mean? Anyway, I got that. It was like, it was like it was like a six pack and a half light. And I'm like, wait a minute, like. <laughs> <laughs> there were empty beer, beer yeah, cans. Man, and she didn't tell me she was picking at it. Like, I don't know. I thought it was pretty funny. You know, but. Did you think for a second that someone had broken your house and was drinking the shit? Or no, I know, you know instantly was she was tapping you my stash, man. Mel. <laughs> <laughs> Mel, if you're watching, yeah. Dave's still mad about it. <laughs> He's very mad. Uh, I got to tell you, when, when, uh, when we came out and met you guys and did that tour, I was blown away. I mean, I know you hear that all the time, you know, but um, it's the first time I saw the operation. And now to hear you guys talk about the process a little bit, so interesting to me, you know, and um, make the comparisons. I, I, we try to tie it into fishing all the time, but it is a lot like developing a bait, you know, because there's a certain amount of that. And, like, uh, talk about the crankbait you did a few years back with, with that bait because that was a lot of the same, right? It's a lot of work, trial and error, trying stuff, taking stuff away. I mean, you you did that with the crankbait. Man, it it took me a year to release my crankbait, you know, uh, because you just they're just infinite tests that you have to go through and get it to where, because you know I I'm sure I'm a lot like you. I wanted it to be absolutely perfect. What was it called? Pete's chocolate donut. Uh, no, it Peace wasn't. It was, it, that's not what it was called. <laughs> yeah. the, uh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> but uh, but no, nah, you know. So it must be. Uh, are you a perfectionist? I mean, do you just sweat over this stuff before you'll put it in the bottle? One thing that we do, it's not. I mean, I guess with beer, it's a little bit different. You're going for a style, and you're trying to create something that really has. You know all those features, so it's almost that, like an art. Part, yes. It seems, uh, but you know there is you have some leeway in a sense where you're, you know, you want you want things to be a certain way and people get a certain reaction out of it, and that's almost as important as you know the, like the little you know perfect perfect mm. things that go on with it. Uh, but one thing we always do with the beers at at yards is. We want to make sure everybody likes the beer that works there. Yeah. Because they all have to believe in it. They all have to have the stake of, you know, when they when they are talking about this beer to somebody, if they don't like it, you can tell. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if it's not their style, you could they'll be like, oh, it's not my style. It's like, no, you got to like that beer. If, if everybody doesn't like it, it's not going to make it into the bottle. That's got to that's got to suck for them to have to taste these beers all the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's so everybody's the beer every poor guys day. every day. Every, poor guys. every day, whatever's packaged the day before, 
we are t- t- you, testing that next day and you know before it gets released. Yeah. Now, you, I, you must have a high turnover. Pete, I got to tell you something. You would have been blown away, and I I want to let all our listeners and, and watchers of the show know. And Brian was there when we met. Um, it's amazing to see it. Uh, beautiful brewery and these giant, you know, brewing vats. You know, yeah. I mean, just like bigger, more life size and just giant, huge. And then awesome. the neat thing is, Tom, do you want to talk about it, Trevor? You still have one of your original brewing vats there. Yeah. You still have it, and it's a s- small, yeah. just a normal run-of-the-mill one. We, we call it Yards One, and we do all of our test batches <laughs> and one. like pilot brewing right right there. Yeah. So when we first got into business, running up your credit cards and buying equipment and you know whatever cash you had went to rent. And that's how we ended up starting with this little system. You know, because in 94, 95, nobody believed that we were going to, you know, have a brewery. How yeah. are we going to compete with Budweiser? Yeah. yeah. You know, they, they they didn't understand. I go, we're not. You know, and so you had to make the beer and you had to get people to believe what you were doing before yeah. you were able to take that <laughs> next step. And it was a way to get the liquid out. Yeah. Well, so, it was. It, it, that's hard. You're competing against the big gorilla, but you're really not because you're doing something special. Exactly. And uh, but where and, and, and Billy had a great you know passion for beer already, and when we you know introduced it, they were like, we want this, and it, yeah, it, that's how it happened. So where yeah. so where are you guys now? I mean, are what are you regional? Have you are you are you expanding? Are you looking to be national worldwide? What, what's <laughs> what's the plan? So <laughs> yeah, so so we're we're regional. We're we're actually what's classified as a regional brewery, but the region's a pretty tight footprint. Um, we're uh, we're basically in four states. I'm technically in um, in five, but we're in uh, in Jersey, uh, PA. Uh, Maryland from Baltimore East, Delaware, uh, and then a small strip of, uh, of of Northern Virginia. So we we just distribute within the Mid Atlantic. So it's a tight footprint. We haven't gone into any new markets in the last three years. You know our focus is really you know building depth in in the markets that uh, that we're in, um, and uh, you know making sure that the customers that have been good to us have a good supply of our product. Awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Hey, let me remind everybody that we want to hear from you. Uh, You can contribute to the show with your questions and comments. Lots of ways to do it. Right there next to your screen, hit us up on our IM feed. You could also hit us up on our social media accounts. That's at Ike Live Show, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Now, now, hold on. I want to call you to play on something because I know, and you said it, you know, Budweiser, Coors, they're the big gorillas, and I know that you guys already have a bond with other local brewers. We talked about that. Mm-hmm. And again, this be honest. Is there is there kind of a dislike for big big brewers for these companies that have commercialized all over the world? Do do do, do the smaller breweries in general have a dislike? For the Home Depots of beer brewing. <laughs> yeah, the Wawa's of sandwich making. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, McDonald's does sell the most hamburgers, but is it the best hamburger? They're terrible. Right. Yeah. right. But, you know, you know, it's funny. I mean, yeah, the big brewers, they are truly craftsmen at what they do. They make that style beer, and, you know, it's not an easy beer to make. You know, any flaws, it's really going to come out. And all that kind of stuff. So, you know, as brewers, we respect them. But at the same time, 
we don't consider that we're doing the same thing. We don't have the same objectives. Right. You know, we're looking to do something that's more creative, more artisanal, and that's where we fit in. And I think, I think we work with that. I think yeah. we work well with that. Yeah. Because you know they're gonna have you know the things that they do. They're gonna sell where they want to sell, and we're gonna have our little little space. Yeah. And our space right now is getting bigger because. A lot of people are really thinking about, you know, what they're what they're drinking, what they're what they're eating, yeah, and all that stuff helps us out. Yeah, and and it's it's also getting bigger because now Miller Coors and Anheuser Busch InBev have taken a real interest in it. Yeah. Uh, so they're actually, you know, in the past several years they've acquired Anheuser Busch in in particular has acquired a number of uh, really uh, you know well respected. Uh, independent craft brewers that an, are now part of uh, yeah yeah they, An- they, Anheuser Busch they 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 must have seen I mean they see it right and they took a step back and they said oh shit like this is happening there's a movement yep. so so they yeah I, I see that now let me ask you something Trevor this is for you if you're in a room and there's 20 brewers in that room and there's one that's one of these big big brother breweries mm-hmm. can you pick them out in the room. Do you know who that guy is? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tell him, Trevor, it's the one drinking wine. The one drinking wine. <laughs> <laughs> That's a dead uh, <laughs> But now they've bought all these guys. That pretentious. You know, now that they've bought all these guys, actually the answer, you know, you might not be able to because right. what, what they've done – you know, thus far is let them run relatively independently, but they have this strong distribution network, uh, and they also can, you know, reduce their production cost in a significant way. Yeah. Um, so they don't want necessarily want the consumer to think, well, they're no longer an independent brewer. You know, they want uh, the consumer to think, you know, this is, you know, this is a great artisanal uh, right. craft product, um, and uh, not that it still isn't by any means, but um, uh, you know, uh, so you know that's a. a yeah, that's a tricky game yeah, to play. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Hey, what? What do you got, Brian? You turned me on to the the. Uh, I'm drinking the Golden Hop IPA tonight. Yeah. I've never seen this one before. I've I've had a handful of your beers. It's outstanding. I it is good. Knew before I even opened it. Is it is good. Bri- that's what you're drinking too, yeah, Mike. Yeah, I am drinking it. And Brian the Carpenter, do me a favor. Thank get you. a get a close up there so everybody can see um, the label on this beer. It's phenomenal. And, Tom, we talked about it a little bit out there, and um, immediately when you were describing it, I said, my wife was standing there, I said, Beck, you're going to love this beer. And she did. You want to talk a little bit about this beer? Sure. Uh, I mean, it it is one of those ones that was the fast track from becoming an experiment to actually uh, becoming a a seasonal beer that that we put in a bottle and everything. It started out as our sales reps, our sales manager's wedding beer. And, you know, just because it was his wedding beer, we only did a little bit of it. We called called it the Rick Takes a Wife Ale. Wow. <laughs> so it, it That's went a out. pretty good name, too. <laughs> <laughs> it's, long. Uh, yeah, yeah. it's long. I don't know how the test marketing did. I like that one. <laughs> We're still married. We haven't had to make a second. <laughs> <Yeah. out. It's laughs> <going all right. laughs> but you know, and then, then everybody loved it. I mean, you know, he gave it to a couple of his key accounts, and they were really. And then we we made it again. Yeah. Uh, we actually made it for Philly Beer Week, and everybody loved it. We're like, we really like it too. 
And that was the big thing, like I was saying. We all really liked it. So to make it into the full-time product, it, it hit the criteria. And, you know, it's just we're just like, yeah, we're, we're doing this beer, and we're going to fit it into this time slot. And yeah. We moved our normal gen first quarter beer to the, the, the fourth quarter now, and it's it's a it's a full-time beer wow full-time seasonal yeah it could be the first one to actually really become a full-time beer that wasn't set out to be that way that's awesome so yeah we're really psyched about this beer that's awesome i I think it's a great beer uh wait turn turn dave on i can't hear you dave so tom and trevor i i guess one of my one of my i guess my second to the cape of good hope is the cicada if you could explain a little bit about that and what went, what went into the creation of that beer, because I really enjoy that bomber. <laughs> Pretty much once a week I'm drinking one. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, Cicada is a beer that uh, we kind of had a name and an idea for a liquid and just put them together in a sense because it was somebody was talking about the cicadas in the office. And I go, whose beer is that? And it's like, no, it's the cicadas are coming. You know, and, I'm just, and we're just like, that's a great name for a beer. And then we had this whole idea about doing this, I guess, Belgian amber ale that was like an IPA, like American hopped IPA, but adding honey to it to kind of balance out some of the, you know, that really, you know, intense hop that it has. Really? So, and that's, and we had this great liquid and we're just like, no name for it, no reason for it. Now we just like, yeah. Let's, call, let's like, call it Cicada. Like that, That's my Friday night thing after work, as I grab it on the way home. But I'm going to tell you something. I'm such a beer geek. Listen, I am such a beer geek. When I, when I first found your IPA, right. it was right around the time this show was on Discovery Channel called Fight Quest. And I would drink a six-pack of that, and I would watch Fight Quest, man. And it was like every Friday night. I would That, that was my Friday night when the kids went to sleep, dude. Yeah, man. And I'm going to tell you something. Maybe you guys can explain the science behind this because I don't know enough about it, right? Why is it I can drink a six-pack of the Yards IPA, and I'm, I'm all right. I'm bouncing off furniture a little bit in my house. But if I drink a growler from the tap full of it, I'm, like, falling into furniture in the house. Like, what's the difference? Why, why does it seem stronger when I... The only thing I can think of, the carbonation level is a little bit different on the taps, and you're drinking a lot faster. Yeah. So it's gone into your system faster. Okay. I've got fresh beer, and I'm just drinking it. Okay, that's so why. Because I'm drinking... Yeah, I got you. <laughs> now, Dave, uh, w- this is amazing, because I'm learning things about your beer drinking. <laughs> oh, man. And I never knew. Are, are you drinking it straight out of the growler? <laughs> <laughs> you've got you to remember now, too, uh, I've seen your drinking habits for a lot of years, from the very early days, yeah. so... Um, there's one you're not talking about that I wanna I want you to highlight. Okay. So, what are you drinking? What yards are you drinking when you do gardening on Saturday morning? Oh. When you're pruning the flowers, when you're out there trimming the hedges? I I think I know the answer to this. What do you got? I think he starts at around 11:30, 11:45. Late it's, morning. Yeah, yeah. It's coffee on a Saturday morning. That's when he's that's when he's deadheading the roses. Okay. It's not till about 11 11:30, maybe 11:45, where he cracks the first one. Gotcha. How'd I do? So I'm I'm not I'm not going to yank the rope. I don't drink yards in in the summer heat when I'm doing gardening. All right, I'm going to be honest about it. All right, I don't. That's my nighttime. That's my nightcap. It's your nightcap. Okay. Yeah. 
right. I, I, I mix it up. I mean, there's a bunch of different ones that I drink during the day because I want to be able to function. I want to be able to put them down all day. Yeah. I don't want to get knocked on my ass. Yeah. Now, Yards, that's a great opportunity for you to make a good summer beer like the Ike, you know, the Ike Delaware River beer. Something yeah. Like that. <laughs> you know? yeah, I like something for me to drink in gardening and still be able to drink your product and not, you know. Fall just, into the roses. just kick the roses right out of the ground, you know. Like, <laughs> I like the sound of that. Yeah, how about that? Come on, like a Nike Live uh, summer beer. That's right. I like it. I like it. Uh, I, I, I want to answer this one, and th- I, I think I'm going to know the answer. But um, I, I've been to a lot of cities. I've been to a lot of cities where, you know, this movement is really picking up. Uh, Becky's family lives in Richmond, Virginia. Big movement down there. Uh, we one of our shows this year was up in Boston. Of course, a big movement there. I feel like Philly, though, is is a great city for the beer culture, right? Um, it's a passionate city. Could, I, I mean, do you guys think about that? Do you guys think that you've ended up in one of the best cities in the country to pursue this because of that passion? You know, and again, uh, just to break it into fishing, I've been to a lot of tournaments in my life all over the country or all, all over the world. With a lot of great fans and great crowds, bigger crowds than what we saw here in Philly. But at that tournament, we, we were looking at that picture earlier, uh, the passion, the energy from the fans there was so real, you could freaking cut it with a knife. Like, only in this city could you feel that. Did, do you guys feel the same about beer and about brewing here in Philadelphia? Absolutely. I mean, Philly, it's, it's a really tough town to get people to like you. Yeah. But it's part about just being genuine and putting out something that, you know, they that they can believe in. Yeah. And I think it you know, you don't earn you, you don't earn uh things I guess in Philly the way you would do in other places. Right. You really just have it has to be organic and I, people have to come around to you and realize that you're you're really Philadelphia. Yeah. And once you're able to do that, I think you think everybody really does get behind you. Yeah. And Philly has always had, like, this great drinking heritage. Like, you know, from because of the industrial age where people were working in factories, they were drinking beer. There really wasn't soda, you know, back at the turn of last century. Yeah. Things like that. There was, there was beer. So yeah. There wasn't there was water. Culture. There wasn't water. <laughs> there was beer because it, because you could actually – it was potable. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> ben Franklin I mean, all, was a drunk. All those things kind of kind of come come – Full, full round with it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's, I, I think Philly, and Philly always had a really strong import. Uh, you know, a lot of people were importing beer into Philly. There was a lot of uh, beer from all different countries. and Different nationalities. Di- nationalities, different styles of beer, and people really, you know, enjoyed it. Yeah. And so Philly's always had that sort of passion for better beer, better products, yeah. things like that. And once you got them, you got them. I mean, yeah. fit, you know, a Philly fan, once they love something, they love it for life. Through the good and bad, right? You look, look at the sports teams <laughs> yeah. here in Philadelphia. And, 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 you know, like at the tournament, you know, the funny thing is, like, we knew that if we – if it didn't if it didn't happen the last day, if we didn't pull it off, you know, that they were either going to stone us <laughs> and freaking kill us right. or just embrace us and love us anyway, you know. But they're they're passionate. Philly guys are passionate. They absolutely are. Yeah. And, you know, I, I mentioned that uh, 
my wife and I, you know, I dragged my poor wife from Europe to Philly, thinking we'll be there for two years. We'll we'll head back to Europe, uh, and we discovered just this, uh, you know, this wonderful uh, I mean, food and beverage culture in particular that we, you know, we weren't expecting that coming from. Uh, from Italy, but people that were absolutely so passionate about it and uh, and excited about it, and then I met this guy who's more excited about beer than <laughs> anyone I'd ever met in my life, yeah. you know. And so, 12 years and uh, three kids later, we're not going anywhere. Yeah, you know, we're packed into this tiny little row home, and you know, we're staying there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, Trevor, I want you to talk a little bit. You you mentioned something, and it it hit hit me, which is um, you know this. This thing of beer now turning into like a thing you pair with food, right? So mm-hmm. when you spent time in Italy, and and my wife, when I first met her, a giant wine head, loved wine, <laughs> and I say that in a good way, Beck, <laughs> as she sits there in a quarter room, uh, you know, and finding the right wine for the right food, and this is a big part of this beer drinking culture now, is is you know pairing it. Talk a little bit about that. Talk about some of the influence that you've had that are now transferring to to yards. Um, so, I mean, beer and and food pairing it's really something that's come on in particular. I'd say within uh, you know within the last uh, ten to fifteen years, and yeah. it does you know it does translate over from uh, from the wine culture. Um, we've done you know we we do a number of, of beer dinners. Um, where we'll get in with a chef uh, who will cook with the beer um, and then pair those same beers with uh, with the courses. So they'll do a four or five five course meal um, and 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 similar to the way that you do it in wine, you know, you tend to, to transition because you don't want to go to a big hoppy beer uh, right off the f- right right from the start, whereas you don't want to go to a big great big red wine right from the start because you'll uh, you'll destroy your palate. Right. Um, and you won't be able to taste the following beer. So you tend to ease into it with lower alcohol, more sessionable beers. We do have a couple of those for the summertime, actually. <laughs> Bra- Brawler and Philly Pale are both. Dave, uh, you hear that back yeah, there? Both in the fours, so to- totally safe in the garden and around the roses. Um, yeah, uh, and so you know the lower alcohol beers with you know tend that tend to have a lower little lower hop content, and then. You know, you work on up the scale uh, to uh, toward the end with dessert. Uh, maybe you'd pair that with something like the barley wine that, uh, that 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 Tom was talking about earlier. That's you know just an 11% wallop. Right. Yeah. Right. So yeah. so what so what am I drinking with my cheesesteak? Philly Philly pal. Exactly Philly, Philly pal, pal, dude. That's yeah. barbecue food. That's All barbecue right. beer. Nice. This golden hop IPA is is uh, very, yeah, very drinkable too. Spectacular. Uh, yeah, I Thank can't you. get enough. Now, uh, Dave, when you get a chance, I want you to catch us up on some IMs, too. But I, I've got a Certainly. question in the meantime. Yeah. And I'm going to ask both you guys. And, again, this is Ike Live, so you could be honest. <laughs> you could omit the age at when you had it. So you don't have to admit to that. But I want to ask both of you. Tom, first beer you ever had in your life. Can you remember what yep. beer it was and, and, and the brand? Yep. Miller High Love, five years old. Miller High Life, five years old. Wow! I need a round of applause, Brian. This was at my dad's softball game, and the water fountain was broke, and I'm complaining, complaining, complaining. 
I don't know which uncle it was that was on the softball team. They were all uncles at that time. Just to shut up. Gave it, and I sit there, and I just sat there and drank it. And my dad's like, what are you doing? And it was gone. He's just like, wow. wow. Who, who gave it to you? Uncle Joe. Wow. <laughs> That's great. Don't tell your mother. <laughs> wow. That's that, a good one. Yeah. That's yeah. young. Trevor? Bud Light, six years old. Wow! <laughs> you only have so, my year. So we were. I so I, six. I grew up on a farm uh, in um, just west of Boston, between uh, Boston and Worcester, and uh, we were splitting wood. But um, and it was hot out though, and 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 I remember we had rented a wood splitter, and um, so I was in the I guess I, I was in the first grade, and I I went up to the porch fridge. Which was stocked with uh, with bug light, and I grabbed a bug light because I loved the taste of it. I you know occasionally have a sip from one of my dad's and cracked it open, crushed the thing because I was really thirsty, and then I realized I'm feeling a little dizzy. <laughs> I think I'm gonna go lie down. I, and I, I remember distinctly going up to my bedroom. I lay down and I woke up about an hour later, and I had no idea what the hell had happened. Wow! Yeah. <laughs> wow! What a great story, Pete. Can you remember your first beer? I I'm st- I was thinking about it while you guys were talking, and I'm embarrassed now. I mean, their combined age. I was older than their combined age. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and hold up, before he finishes the story, let me remind you that. Pete was at the original Woodstock concert. <laughs> Give you a little insight to his age. I, I guess. I could be flat out honest. It was I was seventeen. Wow, yeah, Pete! I, I was seventeen visiting Pfeiffer College campus, uh, and you know to possibly attend there. Yeah. And the kids that were in the one year ahead of me that were already there from my high school. Well, he took us out and introduced us to college girls and beer, and it all happened. When I was 17. And you didn't end up going to Pfeiffer. No. You went to Rutgers. That's, that's true. What the hell happened? That was the perfect college for you. <laughs> it might have been. It was down in, I think, North Carolina or South Carolina. I'd probably fished more had well, I gone there. But wow. wound up at Rutgers. Your life might have been different. Uh, Brian the Carpenter, first beer? First beer was a Rolling Rock, one of the uh, little um, ponies. Latrobe. Yep, yep. And my brother gave it to me, and he was heading out. And and, and uh, gave me a rolling rock and then left. And I remember I fell asleep on the couch. I was I would say it's probably about somewhere around ten to twelve. Ten to twelve. Yeah, it was a pony. I drank a pony. Pony knocked me out. Dave, what do you got? So so mine would have been I was about maybe nine or ten, and me and my cousin Johnny Pekarski were at a uh, <laughs> yeah we were Why's at a wedding. At the, we were at a wedding. Johnny Pekarski. <laughs> We were at a wedding at the at the old Riviera, the old, at the old Riviera in Audubon, <laughs> and we had our cheap suits on and we were playing mafia, and we were everyone that was dancing, we were drinking their drinks, and uh, that's probably the first time I got hammered and drank a beer at the same time. And I remember my old man nursing my hangover the next day. He didn't tell my mom, but yeah, wow, yeah, man, nursing my hangover with like soup and black coffee. Wow. <laughs> What a great story, Mike. Do you, do you remember when we rediscovered Dave? We lost we lost track of him for a few years. Yeah. And we started up the uh, fishing club, Top Rod. Yeah. And we had to track down Dave. We needed six <laughs> members. We did. So it was me, you, McGraw, Delfonso, yeah, Dave, and then some made up name to get six to be to be. Yes. Anyhow, so we rediscovered Dave. Pellegrinus. And, and, and we hung six. out with him. 
the one night, and he and it was like he drank for like the first time ever in my adult life. Yeah, in your adult life. Yeah, because yeah. he was a teetotaler <laughs> up until then. <laughs> <laughs> I remember you had the old Toyota pickup, and and uh, you had to drive him home. We were your mom. No, I jumped in the back. Mo- no, you, I got in the back. So you know, Brian, all his disorganized shit. He had all these like nails and carpenter shit in the back of his pickup truck with 40 inch wheels. So I climbed up the wheel and did like a. Like a like a like a like a uh, like a Magnum PI roll into the back of the truck, <laughs> and my back landed on all kinds of like nails and like screws and shit, and I got like shanked like fifty times in my back, dude. Didn't feel it at the time, but the next day I had all these like rips in my clothes and holes. He drove me home in the back of that ratty ass bed, hammered, oh, and he's hammered God. driving no, me home. Wow, <laughs> come on, Dave, risk my life. Clean it up. It's amazing. Good stories. I got to tell you, my first was well, probably. It, it's funny because we talked about him. T- Today, my grandfather, uh, when I was real young, I actually snuck one from the fridge. And I don't remember the brand. It was, it was Schlitz or Schrolls or it started with an S. It was an old brand in a can. That was the first beer I ever had. But I want to tell you a quick beer story, and I want to get it out because it still makes me mad. Uh-uh. And you know what I want to tell you, Bri? So finally, when we were younger, finally, you know, we were drinking shitty beer forever. And finally, we had an opportunity to get good beer. And I don't remember how we got it. So we were slightly underage. But we finally get this great beer. Brian, what was the brand? It was in a bottle, which was unusual. Wait, wait, wait. When? At your house. Oh, Sam Adams. Sam Adams. That's right. You know, this this is years and years ago. We finally scored some Sam Adams. And somehow, a police officer shows up to Brian's house. I remember that. And... And makes us dump out all the beers. Oh, I hate that In guy. front of him. Yeah. So we had to untwist, dump them out. But they were Sam Adams, so they, they wasn't an untwist. You need to. You had. To... We didn't even get to drink them. Oh. <laughs> this God. guy showed up, walked in my mom's house. It, yeah, I I hate that guy. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Dude, the detective and like chief of police in front of me, that scumbag. Uh, I remember. I remember his name. So do I. Shout out to Lee Simon. No. Nah, dude. Lee. Mark Diana. Diana. Oh, Diana. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't a fan either, man. About yeah. This. His daughter was there. That's right. That's right. Yeah, her his daughter birthed the kids. <laughs> she didn't birth them. She didn't no, why didn't she birth them? She was there. Uh, <laughs> shout out to Mark Diano. Uh-huh. Thanks for emptying those beers I got, I got, all those years so ago. Cool. I got a good Mark Diano story. Let's hear it. So, are we allowed to do this? What? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Name drop like this and talk trash. I'm not trash. This was legitimate. I'm not going to rip him. All right. So. Uh, I, I, when we were young, I liked I liked rem- yeah. slander. There was a girl, uh, Stephanie Hoyer. Do you remember Stephanie I Hoyer? I remember. Yeah. I liked her, and she was wild, right? And I wasn't. I was I was another stiff. And I'm. Everyone was going up to the top of Suicide Hill. Now, for those listening, Suicide Hill was this like really steep, like old, like just dirt hill that you could see the skyline of Philadelphia from in Runnymede at yeah. the end of Irish Hill. Yeah. Yeah. They called it Suicide Hill. Don't so, know why. Yeah, because you then, got your ass beat when you went down that thing. So everyone Suicide. met up there to drink, and I went up there because I knew she was going to be there. And this might be like eighth grade. And I'll never forget, like, we were there, and everyone had pony cans of Budweiser, and then someone yells, cops. And I didn't even have a beer yet. 
and I go sprinting down Suicide Hill, and maybe you get three steps before you trip. I'm all the way down to the bottom. I'm like getting up to like run for my life, and then there's like Diano. Diano got me by the collar. I got all these scrapes all over me. And I never forget. They, I had the lemon cookies that I bought from Shopping Bag so that we could like hide the, the the beer on our breath. You know what I mean? Like my big night, my big move. I got lemon cookies and they were smashed into crumbs. And I had like Diano had me by the collar. <laughs> all he did was drive me home. I didn't have any beer. In my, I, I didn't drink, but I remember just telling my mom we were just hanging out, you know. And of course she, you know, believe me, but. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I, I was, I was, I was, uh, so he was telling me to, you know, to empty the beers and I didn't have nothing to open them with. Uh, so I started smacking the tops off on the curb. That's right. Remember yeah. that? Yeah. That's typical and he, Brian. I was so pissed. Yeah. He threatened to take you to jail when uh, he yeah, started. Yeah, he doing told that. me like three times, you're arrested, Stockle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For anyone that's under 21 that's watching tonight, Turn do not, do not drink until drink. you're 21 years old. Please. Don't listen to this show. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. Do not. All right. Dave, catch us up with some IMs. What do we got coming through? All right. So uh, Pete's Not wants to know that. Hang on a minute. <laughs> Pete's Knot has some good ones. If Yards brewed a largemouth bass beer, what style of beer would it be? Ooh, very good question. That is a good one. Do you want to try it? It's got to be summertime. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And slimy. (laughs) And slimy. So, all right, Yards guys, uh, uh, what do you think about my... <laughs> so, Yards guys, being you don't have one, let me throw you my... It's, my, an, it's an existential question. So, <laughs> top top rope brewing, my summer beer is the Sunset Flip Summer Pilsner. What do you think? Sunset Flip? Is it a true flip? Don't you remember the Sunset Flip, Tom? Come on. Don't you remember that move in wrestling? No. You never watched like WWF, the Sunset oh. Flip? Oh, he, he did real much. <laughs> oh, come Sunset on, flip. man. That's like the Saturday Night Flip. Red my Sunset Flip. The flip's a kind of beer. That's why. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. Well, forget it. Sorry. A flip's a kind of beer? <laughs> yeah, it's actually where you put an egg in the beer and you heat it up and it's Large, I mean. Really? So, yeah, so largemouth bass would almost need to be, I mean, because bass well, was, okay. a, yeah. was a beer. I mean, it would need right. to be. Oh. Well, but, but the, what I was thinking of, and I didn't know how to really relate it, I thought a nitro brawler would be the largemouth bass beer. Because, you know, to catch a largemouth bass, you would usually have, like, something that floats on top. Yeah. And any nitro beer would float on top. So you would have it on top of, like, another beer. Oh. So that would be the floating on top uh, brawler. With a lateral line. Big bass beer. I like that. <laughs> That's like a topwater beer. Yeah. Sounds Topwater explosion. I will say this. You have created a very unhealthy obsession with my knot across the country. <laughs> I have. <laughs> Got IMs coming in. However, I think that was a made-up name. No, Pete, you're no, getting the weird. It's legit. Yeah. 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 All over Bash University this year. Yeah. Ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's 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 funny because you know like uh, you know you can look and see what the top Google searches are when you type something in. Like if you type in yards. You know, you can see all the top Google searches. Price type in Becky Iaconelli, you know, whatever. And when you type in Pete Glusick, one of the top, I don't want to say it's the top. I want to say it's two or three. It's quickly becoming. It's when grown. you Google search, this is true. 
is Pete's knot because he has a knot that he ties that's, you know, his personal signature knot that he ties lures onto. But so people recognize now Pete by his knot. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's a good thing. I mean, some people get their knots bleached, but you just... (laughs) Your knot is your knot. And, hey, and so, so long as they're talking about you, that's I guess. right. <laughs> How do you describe your knot? Well, it's tight. I know that. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> and it's strong, and it's abrasion resistant. That's for sure. <laughs> There's not enough yards in the room to get through the rest of this. <laughs> all, right, all right, all right. Let's let's uh, let's get back. Uh, so. This is a question for both of you guys. We'll, we'll start. Uh, uh, let's start. Tell me, you've got the fishing experience. You, you've done it. You've fished. What's, can you, what, what's your best experience you've ever had? What's your best fishing moment in your history? Is there one that sticks out? There are a number, but, yeah, there is one that sticks out. The one that where I, the, the, the first time I really felt as though, you know, I'd done all kinds of drugs that I've never done or, and never will do, but I just had this incredible ad- adrenaline rush. Like, it, yeah. you know, just, it totally blew my mind. I, I, it's probably the best I've ever felt in my life. And that was um, catching a, was, I don't even know how much the fish weighed, 130, 140 pound tarpon on a fly rod in about wow. three feet of water. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. That's amazing. Down in Miami? Down in Miami, yeah. yeah. Down in the Keys. Um, yeah. On the uh, uh, backside of Flamingo, out in the bay. Um, just, Isn't that an amazing yeah, fish? Yeah, I mean, just see the fish coming, throw a fly out in front of it. Um, and, you know, a lot of times they won't eat. And fish was probably 80 feet out. You know, didn't blow the cast. Probably because I was so hungover, I was still buzzing. Yeah. <laughs> and so I didn't shit my pants while I was casting. Yeah. Put it right where it needed to be. Strip, strip, strip. He banged it. I just stuck him. He turned, and I just stuck him. Fish exploded. Ran like, just screamed right into the back end. And, and, you know, it seemed like five seconds. The reel's just melting away. We fired up. Chase the fish down. I uh, got up on it. Uh, again, fish just started screaming, but and and then just started jumping. Thankfully, started jumping, so he such, jumped himself out. It's such a yeah. visual fish catching a tarpon. You know, <clears throat> where bass fishing, you know, sometimes it's visual, but a lot of it is, you know, below the surface. You know what I mean? So you're you're kind of visualizing what's going on. But dude, with a tarpon, there it's, it's such there. a it's such a visual fight. I mean, that is. It's special. You know what I mean? I think so. I mean, that was one of the coolest things. In the early fishing shows that I used to watch, yeah. that's what you saw. I mean, they were capturing those those tarpon down down in Florida. The jumps. The endless jumps. It was, it was an am- amazing video to watch that kind of stuff. Yeah. I haven't had much experience with it except for uh, when on my wedding when we were trying to catch those tarpon in the uh, harbor. Wow. Remember that? Oh, I do remember that. Yeah. Pal. <laughs> yeah. So on, on his uh, on Pete's wedding, we were down. Where, what, what island was it? St. Thomas. St. Thomas. And we went out for an offshore trip, and we caught a lot of fish. It was really fun fishing on wrecks down deep. And we got back, and like in Miami or like Key West or wherever, in the marinas, it harbors a large number of adult tarpon in there. And it's kind of a no-no to fish for them, you know, because they're pets. 
you know, but the guide we had was really cool and, you know, we gave him a good tip and, and he was like, okay, we're going to give you three chances to catch one of these tarpon, you know, and, oh, cool. Three chances to catch a tarpon. This is, this is awesome, you know, but he gives us a spinning rod, you know, he gives us a freaking bass rod, <laughs> you know, with like 10 pound or 15 pound line on it or whatever. And, you know, a hook with a shad or whatever the bait was. And drops it down, instant eat, you know? But it's it's marina, and it's, everything's all tight. So there's pilings of docks everywhere. So, you know, the first time, eats it, set the hook, and just try to reel as fast as I can. Ugh! Rear, snap! Oh, shit! Damn! It's all right, you get another try. Put the shad on there, drop it down, he's going to eat. Okay, this time, I'm going to play it a little different. This time, I'm going to let him run a little bit out, then I'm going to set the hook and try to reel fast. Eats it. Let him go, let him go, let him go. Oh, jam him. Real, 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 real. Uh, snap. Oh, shit. He's like, last try. You know. Dude, this time I'm going to let him run all the way out there, and I'm not even going to set the hook. I'm just going to reel. I'm going to play it smart. I'm going to let him get out of those pilings. So he eats it. Big giant, 40, 50, 60 pounder, eats it. Let him go way out there, way out past them pilings. And I just start reeling. I just start reeling. Got him this time. Jumps, line breaks. Ah, shit! And that's it. You know what I mean? <laughs> but it's such a fun fish to yeah. catch, man. Well, it's so, it, like you said, it's so visual. Yeah. And they come up out of the water. How long did it take you to catch yours? That fish was probably about an hour, which is, you yeah. don't want to fight them for too much longer yeah. than that yeah. because you don't, you know, you want them to be healthy. You want to release them healthy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Brian Carpenter, what do you got back there? You got a caller? Uh, yeah, I've, I've got a caller that has a, uh, a story about, oh, shoot. I might have lost him. <laughs> okay. I'll be back soon. I just got a text from him. There's, uh, yeah, there's an issue with your phone here, dude. Oh, okay. Stand by. Stand by. Okay. Uh, saltwater fishing is it's a different animal. Uh, we got to do it. I don't know if you knew this, Pete. Um, in Amidst this madness of traveling over the last month, Becky and I got to sneak away to Key West for only two days. But, you know, those short – even those short little vacations where you get to shut your stuff down for a couple of days is magic, right? So we snuck away, and we ended up getting about a little more than half a day out saltwater fishing in Key West. And it was amazing. It's just so different than freshwater fishing, you know? Um, but a couple of the things that really stuck out, um, one is how important the bait is, you know? So like in bass fishing, you know, you launch, and it's all artificials, and – you know, you start your day fishing for the fish. And when we were down there, he literally, our guide we went out with, spent two full hours catching bait. Mm-hmm. We never even made a cast, you know. He's, that's how critical that was. And I, I thought it was amazing. Because, you know, Becky and I were just sitting back like, what the hell? We're like two hours in a day. We hadn't touched a fishing rod yet. But he kept saying, no, 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 no. These uh, pil- pilfords? Pilchards. 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 Yeah. Yeah. They're so key. You know, he kept saying they're so important to the day. We got to have the right amount, and um, he could tell by the he would throw that cast net out there and get the fish, and he could tell just by the feel of that net how many pounds of pil- pilchards there were, whatever it's called. That's it. Yeah, and uh, so dude, it, two hours in, finally made it one last cast, got a few more. He's like, okay, we have enough now, and I'm like, is it that important to have the? You know what I mean? And then. T- about a 20-mile run out, and we get on this little high spot. 
which I thought was neat because it was like just like bass fishing, you know, just a little hump off the bottom. That was a change, you know. Everything's so flat out there, and this was a little rise. And uh, boy, he got he got us anchored, and then got to like chumming, and that's where that bait really came into play. It wasn't even that we were using it; it was that he was using it to bring the fish was to us. Was he throwing it live, or was throwing he... it live uh, along with um, uh, also some chum too? But but throwing it live, getting those right. fish active, and we caught ten or twelve species sitting in one spot, and I mean like. 30, 40 fish in the course of a couple hours. It was almost every cast yeah, at, at some point. It was amazing. I mean, uh, uh, what do we catch? Jacks, blue runners, snapper, um, cobia. cobia, big cobia. Beautiful, beautiful fish. It's so different. Saltwater fish is so different than bass fishing. It almost makes you not want to go bass fishing anymore. Really? You know what I'm saying? Well, I, I like I like it both. I mean, I got I, there's positives and negatives to both things. Yeah. The only reason I don't saltwater fish is I get seasick. Right. You know, or yeah. I'd go out there. Meow. Fish yeah. professionally. You can flats fish. I get, well, that's true. And, I mean, and, and inshore is just the coolest thing going yeah. because you're catching them in skinny water and you're sight yep. fishing. Well, we do that around here. I mean, yeah. we, we, we hit the stripers hard in the spring. Yeah. Catch them in the summer right on the Delaware. You know, there's there's just slicks of stripers all oh, up and down amazing. that river mm-hmm. uh, all summer long. So we, we, we capitalize that a little bit here. But I liked it when we did it, went down to St. Thomas. I remember they were throwing those pilchards out, and those yellowtails were coming up and busting, getting yeah. activated, and we were catching them that way. Yeah, that was that was pretty amazing stuff. Pretty amazing. Fishing on the lee side of the island because the wind was blowing 10, 12-footers on the other side of the island. Yeah. So Isn't we, that crazy? Yeah, we didn't, we didn't go out and do that, but... Uh, yeah, I love that saltwater yeah, stuff it's too. It's fun. Now, Tom, fishing experience. Tell me, tell me your best one. <clears throat> I, I guess most memorable. Yeah. So, we have a couple things in common. South Jersey. Grew up on the mean streets of Haddonfield. Poppy's <laughs> 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 Pond. Stocking. Love that day. place. Love that place. And, by the way, you know, for years before license age there. So I guess I was 12 that uh, this year, and uh, you know, talk my dad into letting us, you know, get up early so we could get a spot. Yeah. Because you know the shoreline was packed. Yep. Opening and day, elbow to elbow. Yep. Elbow to elbow, and there we are, opening day. Me and like five other guys, we all got there at four in the morning, and you know we have this whole little spot right there on the on the shore in the corner, and you know we're 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 fishing, we're catching like one or two, you know, like you're saying like. Those little eight-inch yeah. stock trout yeah. and everything, and the 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 Courier Post paper comes by, takes a few pictures. There I am the next day on the cover of the Courier Post, you know, with a visor on, you know, just <laughs> wow, know, fish, you know? wow, that's a great <laughs> so that was, story. You know, <laughs> well, the You're great, th- yeah, the great thing about that story, Dave, I'm uh, gonna bring that picture in. <laughs> you you can you can uh, testify for me. In in that short period, yeah, you got more exposure in national media than Pete Kusick <laughs> will ever have in his entire life. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. It's always a treat to come here to the Ike. <laughs> I'm just playing with you. I'm just playing. No, I, I, no, but, but it's funny, you know, like my whole fishing experience is fishing as a kid. Yeah. More than anything, you know, it was mm. me and my buddies going out to the hops, fishing, yeah. and just having a blast. And I remember to think about it, we'd always have a radio with us, 
America's Top 40, you know, every Sunday listening to it, just, you know, it's great. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that, really that's cool. awesome. And that's yeah. the beauty. We talk about it all the time. The beauty of fishing is that there's a connection. Like, yeah. most people have some connection to fishing, yeah. whether it's as a kid, you know, a memorable experience or, you know, it's a summertime thing with their family, you know, and everything in between. You know, it's such a cool sport because of how broad it is and how many people it touches, you know? It's amazing. And, and it's a health, healthy obsession. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, when when your kids get go fishing, I mean, you know where they're at. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, it, it's really they're, they're, when you get obsessed with it, you're, at, you're staying out of trouble. Yeah. And you're doing something that is, you know, you're going to do for the rest of your life. Yeah. It's a really healthy obsession. Yeah. It's, you know, but we do, you know, there is there is a connection between fishing and beer uh, that is, that, that, do you think that's where all the lies come from? Could. In fishing, <laughs> you mean you know? the, the the lies in fishing are somehow connected, parallel to beer drinking? There's some some goes on. <laughs> you fish all day. Yeah. You're coming home to the cabin or yeah. to the house. You crack a couple cold yeah. ones. Five fish that you caught that day turn into fifteen. Yeah, you know, five they, pounders turn into seven pounders, and ten pounders, and twenty pounders. They just <laughs> keep expanding as you have more beers. Yeah, I think there's something to that. Yeah. I, I I do think. And, you know, it's funny. We used to fish every day on the way in the in the high school. So once the season opened up, we would actually take one of those little, you know, trout, you know, saying like, you know, you got to have a license or whatever. Take that, put it on our locker, and we'd mark down how many we got each day. Wow. And we'd, uh, keep, a, keep a rod in our locker and just do it in the morning before we went to school. Wow. A little group that was in a yeah. little competition together. Wow. It was great. That's cool. That is really cool. That's cool. Do you still do you right still fish? High school, hobby spot. So. Yeah. Do you, do you still fish today? Yeah. 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 What, what What do you like to What do you like to do? What's your What do you like to chase? I I well I'm I'm got a place up in the Poconos Lake Arrowhead and uh, they Ooh. stock that and just uh, you know leisurely go out there not as You're much right. but you know he'll drag me to some amazing fishing every now and then and as, as a company we were uh, going on. Fishing trips for a couple of years. Is that right? Yeah, you know, charter cool. a boat out of uh, uh, Summers Point or Point Pleasant or uh, Point Pleasant. Yeah. yeah, you know the Miss Michelle or whatever. It was great. Well, if you guys nice. ever do that again, I know a really good guide on the Delaware River. Right here. <laughs> <laughs> Want to hire somebody? Yeah, yeah, that, fish. <laughs> and we also and Adrian Navina, of course, runs big charters down out of Cape May. One he of does. our one another of our New boys. Jersey pro. Yeah, it's it's funny that you call it you call it Hoppies. Yeah, yeah, because we we Hopkins, Hopkins pa- Pond. Right? Yeah, Hopkins Pond is a place we fished as kids a lot. And we have very similar trout experiences there, and carp. We actually caught some big carp over the years out of Hopkins Pond. We also did some bottle hunting there. We did some bottle hunting there. Yeah, near me, Hopkins Pond. I remember the one time I went, me, you, and Uncle Don. Yep. And we had a day off of school. Yep. And we were in the park, walking through the woods. We found an old dump, and we were digging. And uh, it's true. I, I think we got a. I think we had a, a cop or a ranger approach us. Because he thought we were digging dead bodies up or something? Yeah, and he thought we should probably be in school. <laughs> but we like had a day off, and, and we went with Uncle Don. That's funny. Yeah. The other thing I want to mention about Hopkins Pond is that um, every year there's a big tournament in South Jersey. So, we, you know, it's tough in, in Jersey because a lot of the lakes are smaller. You know, so you have a lot of these smaller John Boat-style tournaments. But there's one on Cooper River. Right. That they've had since like the early 90s, and it's one of the only events that draws. You know, they've had in excess of 80, 90 boats there before, and um, 
I tried for years and years to win that event. Like, you know, I must have fished it like eight, eight, seven, eight years in a row, and I'd come close. I had, you know, a second there and a third and a fifth, and I had a couple bombs. And then recently, like maybe three, four years ago, five years ago, finally things came together, and Brian and I, our producer, got my small boat. I still have my John boat. And we were going to rig this boat to get as far up in the feeder stream as you can. So where we launched was by the Lobster Trap restaurant, um, you know, just off of, what is that, 130 there, I guess, or yeah. Black Horse Pike. And um, our strategy was to run up to where nobody else could get to. So they had brought that water level down a little bit. Most guys are running 14, 18-foot boats. And we have this little tiny 12-foot boat. And, and we got Brian, he is a carpenter, believe it or not, to put this real thin decking on the front. We used lithium batteries. We had two push poles in the boat, these 12-foot-long poles. And we had the troll motor all the way to get to this giant mud flat. And we just pushed, pushed, pushed for like an hour. We pushed, pushed. Everybody else is fishing. We're not even, we're, we're an hour in and we haven't even made a cast yet. We finally pushed, pushed over this mud flat. And we broke off into a little bit deeper water. And we got all the way up past Grove Street and Haddonfield. And we just kept going. And we got to literally where no other boat could get to. And we smashed our asses up there, man. And won the tournament <laughs> by a couple pounds. Yeah, dude. Uh, what are... <laughs> what was that? Bro, you got to text him, man. I told, I said, you want me to call him? <laughs> That's what happens when you have beer guys. <laughs> All right, what were you saying, Brian? Water temp, main lake. Remember, we practiced yeah. there. Yeah. It was in the high 90s, yep. mid to high 90s. Yeah, so it, it, it was a summertime event. So... If you could imagine, that whole body of Cooper River, a lot of it doesn't move. But up there toward Hopkins Pond, you have a lot of – you have the spillway coming out of Hopkins. You have the other spillway coming from the lake above uh, – across from Kings Highway. Created flow, cooler water. And, dude, a lot of fish were up there and active and feeding, and we were the only ones that could uh, access it. But we caught a lot of them. Right below Hopkins Pond. Yeah, do, it's pretty do, interesting. Do you really that's, think that's where I used to be all the time? Yeah, you know, yeah. So you know the little swim club and right there that, that whole the horse club, the yeah, swim club. That's exactly, exactly where yeah. we caught them. It was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. Dude, do you really think it was fair that you guys had six thousand dollars worth of lithium batteries while <laughs> little Johnny and his uncle are out there in a rowboat trying to fish against hey, you guys? Hey, life isn't fair, Pete. <laughs> life isn't fair. I don't want to talk about being fair. Life isn't fair. Uh, Brian Carpenter, Whoa. what do we got going? Oh, I already put that through. Sorry about that. Yeah. Um, so we got Mark McCown. We're we're gonna take a phone call earlier. Yeah. Um, phone's acting up. Um, so sorry to interrupt uh, the conversation here, but we were going to get Mark on tonight anyhow. So let's do this right now. Cool. Um, Mark's got uh, something to share with us um, about the charities working with. And okay. Sounds good. Okay. So joining us live via Skype. I don't know where Mark's at. We're going to find out in a second. Good friend of the show, our very own Mark McCallan. Mark. Hey, buddy. Hey, how you guys doing? Can you hear me? I can hear you. Good to see you again. Hey, uh, on the show, now I get to 
on the show Skype, just like KVD. Yeah, <laughs> and you're a part of our community. There we go. How you doing, Mark? Hey, what do you got going on? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I appreciate you guys. Uh, the awesome show. It was fun to listen to everything. Uh, I just want to talk. I talked with Brian a little bit earlier uh, about some hats that we're going to be moving down at uh, the Classic. And we're going to be with Salmo Lures booth 732 now at the Classic. We're going to bring some guys down from the team, Special Ops Survivors team. And uh, what we're doing is a donation drive. Uh, for these high-speed team hats that we have made, and uh, all proceeds from the from the hats, everything that we get down there, it's all going back into Special Ops Survivors. We talked a little bit about that when I was on your show with you. Yeah. Uh, and now through Tom Zanenko with Salmo, uh, they really uh, donated a ton of hats, and we're going to come down there and, and uh, try to raise as much money and as much awareness as we can for Special Ops Survivors. Man, what what a what a great deal! So anyone that's at the Classic Outdoor Show in Tulsa, Oklahoma, the week of the Classic, they can come to booth seven thirty two Salmo Bait Booth. And what do they have to do, Mark, to to be able to get one of these hats? Hey, how it works um, is that there'll be like a, a giant collection tube that we'll have set up there at the booth. Uh, if you put your hat into the tube, we'll give you one of these team hats for a five dollar donation. Uh, if you're real attached to your hat, uh, you can keep your hat and give a $10 donation, and we'll send you on your way with one of these team hats. And uh, we worked a long time on these hats. What we try to do is model it right after the team hats that we wear in the teams. I'm going to try to show this one here. There it is. Wow. Uh, I got the pics, Mark. I'll put them up as soon as we hang up with you. But Okay. You know, yeah, that's yeah. no problem. But that's hat. one of our team hats that we wear when we're out working, going all over the place. And then uh, we sat down with Tom Zanenko from Salmo. And he helped us design a hat, went back and forth. We did about three prototypes, and then we finally came up with one where we got the Team Special Ops Survivor logo on it. And a uh, good solid hat, and it met Tom's criteria. That was pretty fun going through that with him. Sometimes it wouldn't have enough stitching or it wouldn't be fancy enough. Uh, so we put together a really, really nice hat uh, that, you know, people will be, you know, looking good when they're running around in it. Let's say it one more time, Mark. See the hat one more time. Wow, look at that. Uh, I tell you, this is a great cause, Mark. And, uh, I mean, we we got to fish together. That was a great day down on the Chesapeake and uh, awesome fishing with you guys. But you told me a lot about uh, what what special ops survivors are. And I really didn't know about the program. And I think maybe some of the people listening right now, tell, tell the folks what, what that is all about. Okay. Uh, special ops survivors... Uh, was founded by a SEAL, and it was kind of founded out of a need for it. They had lost the SEAL, and uh, this guy uh, realized there wasn't really too many programs out there or it wasn't really set up to take care of the Gold Star survivors, uh, which are the the spouses of the of uh, our fallen heroes. Um, so they did is they kind of set up this uh, nonprofit charity organization to, to help assist the gold stars specifically the gold stars because there's you know there's a ton of things out there set up to help us the service members but there really isn't that much set up to help the gold star family members uh so this thing i mean they, they cover counseling uh conventions all this stuff where they're getting their wives together and they're all spread out to the united states it's kind of a monster to uh try you know controlling that but they'll do they'll help out with scholarships for uh gold star kids um, just uh, you can't imagine it. It's all uh, you know, they, they cover it pretty good on their website. 
uh, specialopssurvivors.org. And uh, we'll be down there with a ton of handouts and information, everything we'll be able to give out to the guys. But it's real near and dear uh, to our heart, uh, specifically mine. Um, like I told you guys when I was on the show, you know, we uh, lost three guys and a military working dog in one attack in 2012. Uh, so at that time, you know, we stayed over there. Um, we were there for probably, I think, six more months. Uh, and it really, we didn't notice, you know, that big of a difference, you know, just being operators and that we didn't know what was going on with the family. Uh, once we returned back to the States, when we really could see that there wasn't anything out there really to, uh, to keep, you know, there's, you know, the initial help from the government, but after that, you know, there, these gold stars are pretty much on their own. Uh, so we sat down with the survivors of the gold stars and they really talked to us about like, you know, like which, you know, um, organizations out there, it really helped them and special ops survivors came up all the time. So that's, you know, we put our heart behind it and, uh, through fishing and tournaments and that we just try to raise awareness for it, make a difference with it. Wow. I mean, it's an awesome program. And so easy for people to participate and help with this, and especially at the Classic, right? There's yeah. going to be 100,000 people that walk through that yeah, expo. So awesome, awesome. Yep. And, and once again, at the Tulsa uh, uh, Civic, it'll be, it'll be where the show is at in Tulsa, yep. Oklahoma, and it's booth 732. Dave, what do you got? Hey, Mark, we got an IM question. People who aren't going to be at the Classic, how can they obtain the hat? Uh, right now, um, we don't have a lot. You know, we, we I think we got an order of like 2,500 in. Uh, of course, our goal is to move every one of them down to Classic. Um, but uh, if we don't have any, um, it'll probably go up uh, for donation on Special Ops Survivors uh, website. Uh, and if not, you know, we'll we'll make an effort, and I'll get back with Tom, and we'll try to get more of these out there and try to reach as many people as we can with them. But more than likely. Uh, once we get done with the classic, you know, follow-on hats will be available through uh, the Special Ops Survivor website. Thanks, Mark. Wow. Awesome. That's awesome. Awesome. Yep. Well, great, great program, man. Uh, great seeing you. Thanks for keeping us in the loop with this. And I know we'll we'll see you at the classic. Uh, Absolutely. We'll be down there. Save a hat for me, Mark. Yeah, we're, we're going to be bringing a bunch of them back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Mark. Mark, you got put two aside, Mark, too. Don't worry about these guys. Me, me and you, buddy. <laughs> I'm going to bring one for Dave, for sure. Hey, uh, it was great seeing you, buddy. Uh, them initial pictures I saw on the Internet, man, I couldn't believe you were alive. Uh, unbelievable. Love your warrior spirit. Uh, and it, you know, it's an amazing thing you did for your family there. Uh, and you can't you know you never know until you're in that situation how you're going to react and you acted like a warrior and that's awesome man uh, thanks dude uh, that's an honor coming from you dude definitely proud of you that was something else awesome. thanks man alright Mark we'll see you Mark McCown everybody right, thanks Dave great segue Dive into that a little bit. So we, we I, know the background. We know the background. I we, guess, but before I do, I gotta yeah. at least acknowledge Mark's daughter, his little baby. 
His little baby girl got bit in the face by a pit bull. He showed me the pictures of that. Wow. She got her lip pierced. Her, she has some bite on her face. I didn't know that. He said that a country doc stitched her up real well. Because my first question was, did you send her to a plastic surgeon? I mean, right. she's young. She's yeah. a beautiful little kid. Yeah. And he said the country doc did a good job lining it all up and uh, stitched her up well. And this just recently happened. Wow. And she's a tough little kid, man, just like her dad. And she uh, she did a good job. That's crazy. You I know? didn't know that. She healed well. Who is her dad? Wow. Mark McCowan, man. Yeah. Well, I'm saying, uh, for anybody that didn't watch the first episode, he's a... Yeah, yeah, for anyone that didn't watch the first... That didn't watch when we had Mark McCowan and Rudy Lindsay on the program, they are two special for armies, Green Berets, special forces, and they came... It was about five episodes ago. And if you haven't watched that one, I highly recommend it. Uh, they were two of my favorite. It's actually probably both all of our favorites that we've had on the show so far, so definitely something to watch. Yeah. Hard, hardcore guys, amazing what they did for our country. Uh... So, I'll jump into it, Dave. Yeah, sure. All right. So, what happened? You walk outside, you hear you hear, you hear hear some shit going down. No. You so, hear a dog barking. What happened? Not at all. So. <laughs> <laughs> tell me. That would have been the easy thing, hearing dogs barking, know. you know, to well, run. Tell me. Tell so, me. my son and I were leaving his wrestling practice last Thursday night. And we were on our way Where to. Where is this? Uh, in Mount Laurel, New Jersey. Okay. So we were on our way to uh, weigh-ins for the state qualifying, uh, you know, wrestling tournament. Yeah. You have to qualify to get into states. We we're on our way to weigh-ins that night. We walk out of the lot, and he's about six feet behind me. We're walking to my truck, and we're walking toward the back of the lot, and I just see these three shepherds coming out of an SUV. And there's a vacant lot next to it, so he's pro- the owner's probably letting them out to go to the bathroom. Instantly, one breaks from them and starts running toward us. And the owners, uh, it's okay, it's okay, he's just coming to play. No sooner than that, he runs right past me. And like I said, my son's uh, an ar- you know two arm lengths away from me. And David, to his credit, at seven years old, was smart. He turned his back, and this dog's in full stride, enough to where I can't intercept him. Yeah. And he turns his back to the dog and covers his face. And the dog just knocks him right to the ground, the shepherd. So, and he, you know, it's making some, you know, like enough to where, you know, I'm already going toward the dog. But I remember as I'm getting ready to grab him, I hear the dog, you know, I think he's putting the work on him. I think he's biting him, you know, because yeah. I mean, he's making that aggressive dog sound. Yeah. So I grab him, I throw him off. And um, what back when I was a police officer in Camden, I always thought that, like, if I were going to get attacked by a dog, I always war gamed in my head that I'd give up my left arm. So that I could, you know, get my gun out and deal with him on the right. Yeah. And that's exactly, it's funny because we had talked about this with Rudy. Like, you know, you will do what you think of doing in these situations. If you don't have a plan, you won't do shit. Right. But if you think of something, no matter how dumb it is, like my plan was a plan based off having a gun on your hip. Right. But yet I did it with nothing. Well, I did it with, and all these years later, you. That's what I did. I, did get, I gave him my left arm and he bit into my left arm and that was fine. And. Uh, what made it bad was the other two shepherds had come running over and they engaged my back. Uh, the owner is chasing them, screaming to them, and the owner's a large man. The owner's about six five, three hundred pounds. He's a big NFL-sized guy. He's a huge dude. Yeah. He's trying to get two of them, and in the process of grabbing two of them, my arm's still engaged in the left. He hits me, knocks me down, and is on my legs with two. On, not only on my legs belly up he's not belly up he's on his back on my legs and i only learned this from from my wife that saw it and he's still holding the two dogs that are on my back well the one that was on my arm transitioned from my arm and went straight to my neck and face and head 
Yeah. And started, you know, started putting the business on me. But all the while, my son, uh, my side somehow either pull. I don't, I don't really know. My wife says that I pulled my son underneath of me. I don't know if I land. I don't know. But David was underneath of me throughout this whole thing. Like he's under me. I'm on him. And I didn't necessarily like feel out of control of everything, even when I was on the ground till he started working actually the top of my skull and feeling the dog biting like and actually feeling the bone crunch and it not necessarily sounding like when they chew a T-bone. But if you watched a dog chew a T-bone and you you hear that that grinding into the bone, it's exactly what was happening on the top of my head. That's when I felt like I lost. I lost. I absolutely lost the initiative at that point in a fight. You know, like right. I, that was it. Like I'm on all. I'm on all fours with a with a slightly you know convex mouth against a dog with a eight inch convex mouth. You know, it's just I'm in a fight that was just completely not where you yeah. needed to be. Yeah. And that's when panic set in. That's when like mortal terror actually set in because I know he had gotten me in my face. I know he had gotten me in my neck. I didn't know to. I didn't know to what level of it. I knew that I was leaking. And at this point, my wife, who was with me, and my six-year-old daughter, they had went a separate way because they were going home and we were going to weigh-ins. And at some point, you know, she saw the whole thing happening because she heard me shout initially to the dog. Yeah. So she's running over, and she's throwing whatever she has in her arms at the dog. And I'm screaming to her, like, pick him up, you know, get him inside. I'm screaming to her to run. And I'm screaming in, in, in like... uh and like blood fear, like yeah. you know, it's not even like there was no calmness. Right. I lost that when my head started getting bit. Yeah, I felt I had no control of the situation. She was able to pick my son up, and I'm screaming to her like I'm like fucking run, like I'm I'm. It felt like it was 20 minutes, but it was probably 15 seconds, right. 10 seconds, and it just seemed like she was just standing there for so long with him, you know, and I'm just like. Like screaming to her to down. run, it does slow down. And, yeah. and there, there, there's a there's a there's a physiological explanation to that, but we won't get into that. But uh, so she picks him up, and I still have them on my back. And instead of running, I don't know how she did it. She walked calmly, and the male that had my head engaged was on had his nose like almost up her ass, following her into the building, and she never ran. So I so at, at this point she's inside, and I don't necessarily know like how the attack stopped. I don't know when the one stopped. I know the owner was doing what he could to get him off of me. It wasn't yeah. like he was watching this. Yeah. You know, I was able to come inside. So the first thing I'm saying is like, back in my son's jacket was covered in blood. I mean he was saturated in the back in blood, and I didn't know how to what extent he had been mauled. If there was another dog that had gotten him, and I'm screaming to her, to I'm like, and I specifically said, I said, check him for holes, you know, like you got to look, and he, uh, I don't, you know, he didn't, he didn't have anything. Wow. But hold on, it gets at that point. I look at her and I so said, was the blood from you? It was all me. Yeah. At that point, I look at her and I say, where's Madison? That's our six-year-old girl. Yeah. And she just gave me this blank look. We go running out there past the dogs that are still out there, and Madison, at six years old, had enough sense to go and hide behind a car squatted down behind a car crying and uh we were able to get her and the you know dogs were able to get under control and uh remarkably my son had a little tiny little tiny bite on his butt cheek and a little scratch on his back 
you know? Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Poor little Madison, like... She said, yeah, she... Not knowing what, you know, just not knowing what was going to happen next. Yeah. Just hiding. Hiding. Oh, that's here, just here. terror. And you know, what the, I guess the worst part about it is, like, so, you know, as men, right, we're the foundation of our family structure. Yeah. You know, I'm sure there's a couple buzz cut militant feminists out there like, yo, you know what I mean? But for the, for the most part, you know, for the most part, you know, we're, we're our foundation, right? We're the foundation of our unit. And our wives get to see us mourn the loss of a family member, you know, a mom, a dad, a pet. But they don't get to see you in absolute mortal fear. Yeah. There's a vulnerability and a weakness exposed there that they're not ever that they rarely ever see, yeah. and the ones that do, you know, it affects them in a way. And my wife got to see it all, you know, she got to see it all. But what I got to see was three people who have never been in a critical incident situation react completely appropriate for the situation. Wow. My wife didn't panic and run. Yeah. My son covered his face and went and and, and bellied down. He's what yeah. he said he been wrestling term. He bellied down, you know. And my daughter went and hid. Like, everyone did something, yeah. you know? No one, uh, and, 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 uh, no one froze up. And a lot of times when you survive these sudden violent situations, it's because you did something, not because of inaction. You acted. Right. You know, and they all did something. And I'm proud of all of them for that. And I've told them uh, that, you know, right as much as my kids could comprehend it, you know, I told them, great job on that. Yeah. You know, like, blood comes out of a head, you know. I, yeah. And I'm trying to, and I'm sitting there, the picture that's up there now, did you put it on? Yeah, I'm yeah. trying to I'm trying to talk to them looking like this, telling them daddy's okay, you know, like it's fine, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Dude, it's horrific. Yeah, that, that man. Thing. Yeah. That's so, awesome shot. you yeah. know, and it, and it's like I, I, we look at it from two perspectives, like as a, as a former police officer and as someone that has come up to situations, you have an expectation of an outcome. If a car is overturned and it's cut in half. You're expecting to come up and see damage. Right. And what I guess what people don't understand is when that first responder, that ambulance person, that nurse or that police officer, firefighter or for soldiers, you know, when they're like, you're lucky, they're not being insensitive. It, you're, they're coming to that situation with a, with a presupposed outcome. Yeah. And it's like, this is what I've seen before. Wow, you don't look like what I've seen before. And, and you just say it. You don't say it to be insensitive. Yeah. So I look at my son and daughter and my wife, and I'm like, we are lucky. Yeah. Like, I'll take that. I'll take a beating. Yeah, I'm built for a beating. Like, I can take it. You know, but, like, for, for three shepherds, there's a reason that military and police use these dogs. Right. They're, 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 they're no joke. They're fucking wolves, dude. They're yeah, no they're joke, badass. man. They're badass You know, for, 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 a, for a wolf to set its sights on a, a boy... And not so much as, like, do any damage. I mean, I feel completely fortunate. Yeah. Have you seen the picture of Dave's uh, friend's kid? Brian showed me this picture. His little angel child. Junior's, the friend of Junior's. No. These angel blue eyes, completely mauled in the face by some fucking dog, man. Wow. Yeah, it just happened. You know, and it's just like, I, I, I know that's, I mean, I know what I expected to see. Yeah. When my son was drenched in blood, I'm like, his back's going to be friggin' shredded. Right. And once I found out it wasn't, I was like, ah, fuck, everything's good, man. Right. Like, this is cool. Yeah. You, you, that you was know? so amazing because the dogs, the dogs would naturally attack him first. Right, they're gonna go to the weakest and and yeah and abuse that. You did such an amazing job. Well, it was just reactionary. It really yeah. wasn't any time to think. You know, the dog 
the dog violated space, you, you know, you grab the dog. I mean, it's nothing that was that was a, a preconceived thought that I had prior. Like, if a dog ever attacks my son, I'm going to grab him. Like, right. you just do it as a dad. I mean, that's yeah. it's in us. Yeah. All right, it's yeah. in us. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's in you, and we're proud of you. Well, thanks, Pete. Yeah, yeah. that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, amazing. definitely. Amazing Stop story. It. Yeah. See, I told you there was more to it than what you well, said. Well, there was, but I mean, you know, like, <laughs> but I mean, uh, what, what did I do? I went into an in-depth story about a dog attack. Yeah. When I told you no, in the first it's 30 ser- seconds. It's serious shit, though. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's deep. You know what I mean? Yeah, I got So Becky had just asked to me, what what happened to the dogs? And then I guess if there's a, a caveat to feeling fortunate about what happened, I was completely disappointed in the type of response that we received from, from law enforcement dog that the you know the uh, animal control people like uh it was it was really handled poorly and i mean right. i'll leave it at that but the dogs went home with the owners you know like right. uh you know i i worked in camden where we were told we did everything wrong but i can tell you that five of us standing around three shepherds who just mauled somebody somebody's gonna like you know what are they supposed to leave like you know <laughs> right one of us are gonna figure it out we're gonna yeah. call somebody i don't know i mean you know, huh. I'm very disappointed in so, how that was all handled. So, so what is the future of this? No charges against the dogs? No, Nothing's well, going to so happen? New Jersey has strict liability uh, statutes, specifically uh, towards leashing your dog. An owner is absolutely responsible and can be charged criminally for, for situations like this. Now, of course, in this situation, this guy didn't. Didn't got the dogs out to go maul me, right? So there's no intent. So it's not an indictable type situation. But at a minimum, it's a, it's it's what's in New Jersey a disorderly person's offense, you know. And there is there is municipal summonses that each town has towards your dog hurting someone and to the level of being hurt. You're not talking about uh, a chihuahua nipping at a calf, you know. Right. You're talking about a dog with the second highest bait, bite ratio of all dogs. Right. Above a pit bull, below a Rottweiler. Yeah. Like shepherds are, you know, there's a reason yeah, cops use them. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I was bit once in my entire life, and it was a it was a shepherd. Was yeah. Younger. Oklahoma. Yeah. It wasn't Oklahoma. No. That's funny though, Bry. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> uh, let me remind everybody. Uh, still a little bit of time left on the show. I think we're we're actually going to run on. We got about ten minutes left. We're going to push on till ten thirty. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, hit us up on the IM. Or uh, Brian DeCarpenter, I might get you to put up the toll-free number if you want, and we'll ride this out. For yeah, the we're last... not going to do that. Okay, we're not going to do that. We need to buy a new phone. Oh, the phone's not working? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, let me jump back, and uh, I, I want to jump back to you guys. And big question, I had this at the end of my notes, is what's next? What's next for Yards? Um, what's next? What What's the, the, the next beer? What's the next big thing? Do you want to expand? Do you want to stay regional? What's next for Yards? Well, <clears throat> there's no question that uh, we do want to expand, um, and that's that is what's next. But when when we say expand, we don't mean necessarily expand the region. Yeah. Um, we're we're outgrowing the current facility. Right. Um, so. Tom and I are spending a lot, yeah, yeah, spending a lot of time right now, 
Uh, Got a lot of property yeah. here at the Iconelli. Right? <laughs> <laughs> How would you feel about Got a some, facility right here yeah. on Palatine Lake? <laughs> Got some quality control guys. <laughs> You've got a water supply. You're, you're good to go. And Becky can do everything, by the way. So, yeah. yeah. So we're we're trying to figure out how you know how we can expand. Whether that's going to be where we are currently. There's you know there's there's potentially some property next door, um, but uh, you know we want to do everything we can to uh, to stay in Philly. So um, so we're looking uh, you know in the same general region of uh, where the where the current brewery is to right. figure out. Uh, where the where the next spot's gonna be? Yeah, yeah. And everything from our tasting room and the the whole tasting room experience, we want to really bring to the next level. We really want to be that kind of iconic brewery. Yeah. That you know now that we're getting to the next size, we're gonna increase the size of our brew house. We'll have tanks that are actually visible from the outside because they're gonna be up through the roof in a sense. Wow. You know whether it's here or someplace else, we yeah. want, we want it to be. People are definitely driving by, and there's there's our brewery, there's yards. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's definitely uh you know what we're hoping to get, and you know what we want to do things the way we've been doing it. We want to really, you know, set an example as a company. You know, be as green as we can when we we do these improvements. Try yeah. to try to do be sustainable. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. And I noticed that when we did the tour, it was amazing how you know the thinking about that stuff. You yeah. know. Thinking about waste, thinking about reusing stuff. You guys are very conscious of that. Yeah, and we and we have our staff is young guys for the most part. Yeah. That you know it's important to them. Yeah. It's part of one of the reasons that I think we have such a great culture at, at the brewery that you know, we you know we as owners and them as employees, you know, all feel the need to, you know, step up our game and do do things like recycle, like you know, yeah, yeah, be smart about it. Yeah. How we waste. So. Yeah, yeah, and and it's more than just even the you know the you know environmental sustainability side of things. So that's really important. But you know it's doing things for the social good. So you know and and it's really supporting the communities that support us. So you know we've donated over the last 12 months over three full tractor trailer loads equivalents uh, of uh, of beer to to local. Uh, charities and nonprofits for their fundraising events. You know, Tom and wow, I this morning. That's, great. that's we're at, awesome. We're at the Philadelphia Ronald McDonald House, yeah. uh, yep. where they host the families of sick kids that are being treated at uh, Children's Hospital. That's because awesome. We, we sponsor a room there. Um, we do. Uh, you know, we, we we have a beer pink that uh, that we do big uh, you know breast cancer awareness fundraiser uh, around. So. Um, you know, we just really feel, as, and everyone that's a part of the brewery, you know, really, really believes as well that you know, companies should do good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, that's we 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 really believe that. Yeah. Uh, and that's a big part of of who we are. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, you have the you have the outlet to do it. You should do it, right? That's that's amazing. Now I know there's there's probably a handful of viewers watching tonight or going to be listening over the next couple months this podcast. Um, they're they're in the tri-state area. They haven't had yards. They want to have a yard. They want to come see you guys. They want to taste this beer. Where can they go? Should they should they come to the brewery? Should they go to their local pub? Where should they go to, to enjoy yards? Wherever they drink beer, they should be asking for it, which would be great. Yeah. Uh, hopefully. Yeah. We should be in most of the liquor stores, most most where wherever is craft beer. 
yards should definitely be yeah. there. Yeah. Um, I would say it's great to come to the brewery for that brewing experience. In a sense, you get to see the tanks, you get to talk to the staff. They, you know, they really can describe the beers, talk it through everything. It's 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 a great experience going there. And so I think it's great if they can make it to the brewery. If they're a little far, you know what? Go to your local guy that sells craft beer. I'm sure that we've had him to the brewery, talk to him about beer, and he's going to be, yep. you know, happy to yeah. talk to you about yeah. yards. And you can go to the website yardsbrewing.com, yeah, and there's a beer finder on the website that'll tell you what the locations are, you know, what what retailers in the area carry the beer and what products. Yep. Gotcha. And and, 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 and you guys are on social social media too, right? Absolutely. Yep. yep. And yeah. we and, and we've got it on tap here, so anybody wants to come by, yeah, you know. come, come to the compound. Uh, Brian De Carpenter, what was that note? Dave, I couldn't say it. it said something. Oh, else. shout out to uh, Dave Cook. Oh yeah 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 yeah. Uh, let's see here. Uh, let me let me find my notes. Um, uh, where is it, Brian? <laughs> Did you put that in my notes. <laughs> You're writing somewhere. Oh, uh, here it goes. Uh, what a, spe- a, a, a special shout out to Dave Cook, aka Limey Bastard. We we we, we, we know Limey Bastard. Canadian contingency. Yeah, he's Canadian funny. contingency. Big uh, big fan of Ike Live. Uh, he's been battling melanoma. Uh, what fourth time, Brian? Apparently, he's going in for uh, uh, surgery number four. Surgery number four. Uh, shout out, man. We're we're thinking about you. We're you know you're in our prayers. Absolutely. Uh, for sure. Uh, let me also remind you of a few things. We'll give you a little update. Uh, new episode of Going Ike just aired last Friday. It was episode three, and coming up, episode four is Pete Glusick oh, fishing the Upper Bay. Nice. Chesapeake Bay bass and coming up. Going Ike episode four. I'm Pete Kluzek, bitches. <laughs> That's right. He's Pete Kluzek, bitches. Uh, let me also remind you that, as usual, you can get this show a million different ways. You can get a million different ways. Of course, if you missed it tonight, if you want to tell your friends about it, if you want to review it later when you're on the hopper, you can get it on IkeLive.com iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, and, of course, Periscope. Uh, little update, Rebecca official word now can i say it officially is it okay to say that sure. official word that the first official ike foundation charity event <laughs> to support youth fishing will be on the delaware river august 6th out of camden new jersey camden camden waterfront wow camden waterfront got the nod I thought I thought Becky was pregnant. No, <laughs> that's what I was waiting for. Pregnant. Let <laughs> <laughs> me wipe the sweat off my brow. Uh, Ike Foundation co- coming out uh, with the tournament August sixth. You're going to see a lot of information on that. There's going to be celebrities, athletes, and the very own cast of Ike Live will be at that event. Uh, awesome. You know, the next show. Usually, we're forecasting the next show weeks and months in advance. Next show is this Sunday. February 21st. Oh, it is? Yes. Special guest, Jacob Prosnick, <laughs> a.k.a. J. Proz, and J. Pal. Uh, uh, Ricky Bosworth from Bass East. Bass East. We'll be here this Sunday to talk about the Bassmaster Classic coming up. Outstanding. Very exciting show. One more reminder. Let me remind you that we are starting a bass fishing club at Rowan University. 
They will be the fourth school in New Jersey to have a bass fishing team. I'll be out there tomorrow at the campus in Glassboro from 12 to 1 at the rec center. So please come out and see me. If you're a rowing student you want to bass fish, come out and hang out with me. I'll answer some questions for you. Hey, uh, before you close this up, shout out to a friend of ours, Keith Callen, on smashing a Jersey monster. Where shout out, go. big time. Shout out to Keith Callen on a 9-1. Maybe nine we'll try one. to get him on the next show. And a huge, huge thank you to our guys from Yards Brewery. Thank you guys for coming <laughs> thank out. Thank you guys. So awesome That's having great. you in studio. Thank you. This was awesome. What a great time. Uh, I hope everybody had a good time. Please, if you haven't tried it, go out, try a Yards beer, drink it, you'll love it. We'll see you this Sunday. From everybody here at Ike Live, good night! Shout good out night, to Wesley Strader, too, buddy. Good night! Big thanks to Wesley. Good night.